0: Jonathan Ray, the man who put the one in 9 and 1. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, it's one. Welcome to episode 15 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. As a long running streak in world superbike history came to an end uh, this past Sunday at Donington Park, we will look back on an exciting weekend of action. Uh, In the British round of the World Superbike Championship, a round that was um, tinged with emotion and tragedy given what had happened in the run-up to it with Nicky Hayden losing his life. Uh, But World Superbikes sure as hell put on a show to pay tribute to the Kentucky kid. We will look back on all the action for races one and two as Sykes made history and then saw his attempts to make even more history dashed by his teammate on Sunday. We'll also talk about a sensational comeback ride by Alex Lowe's as he took his and Yamaha's first podium of the season. Leon Haslam impressing as a wildcard, an appearance which may lead to a more regular outing in World Super X for him next year. And all of the other action as Keenan Safforg, won again in World Supersport. And we got a first-time winner in the Supersport 300 class, which closed up the World Championship battle. Uh, we'll also talk about all the news heading up to this weekend as MotoGP heads up to its duel in the crown, the Italian Grand Prix at Mugello, where we hope Valentino Rossi will be there to race. He has been declared fit so far. Uh, we will see if he does indeed race as the weekend rolls on. Um, Rebecca James isn't with us this week, and that's not because she's fainted through excitement of Alex Lowe's Rostrum on Saturday. She, unfortunately, is stuck at work. Um, but joining us
1: uh, in her absence is Andre Harrison. Welcome back, Dre. You're expecting someone else. <laughs> 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 but uh, oh, I only have one thing to start this show with this week. Sadebe, S- S- what's up with your mans?
0: <laughs> yeah, what's up with my ads? Yeah, we uh, I'm getting roasted this week, listeners, because my boy finished second uh, yeah. in a,
1: in a Sorry. race. So after Sebastian Vettel wins at Monaco, and then after like Sykes' beloved Yorkshireman, Tom Sykes, fails to get to the perfect 10... I'm sorry, it's roasting season. Baste your turkeys and put them in the oven. bit, you're going down this weekend. Yeah,
0: yeah, Dre's just relieved that Fernando Alonso didn't upstage Sebastian Vettel by winning the Indy 500. Otherwise, he'd be getting roasted too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank Yeah, Takuma Sato. For, I should say thank Honda for that one um, <laughs> on, on Sunday night in, uh, in Indianapolis. Um, fun, fun story on that, by the way. I'd, uh, I'd been invited to a pub quiz on the Sunday night, so I'd start of recording the Indy 500 and went off to work. Uh, I went off to this pub quiz with uh, with some friends from work th- before watching the rest of the Indy 500 later on, um, and one of my friends, without having a clue that I'd recorded it, decided to show me a news update on his phone that said, Fernando Alonso retires to engine failure. <laughs> I was like, for like, fuck's sake? that's the only reason I was watching it. <laughs> so uh yeah, I quickly went and deleted it. Until actually, oh no! I, as soon as I realised that Sato gone and won the thing, I thought, no, actually, this will be worth a watch. And um yeah, what what a great
1: good news story it, that was for, for motorsport it, on Sunday. It, it, it was, but he killed that catchphrase. I'm not happy about this. No, but he um, so won me fifty five quid, so I can't complain. No, uh, swings and roundabouts. Um, Swing it's around
0: it's fast a fast neat fast. way of segueing into episode eighty eight. Uh, yes, now Sato is the name of it. Um, yes. which, uh, as we recall, this went up earlier today. If you head to um, motorsport101.net or to our SoundCloud channel, soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport101, you can find episode 88 uh, of the Motorsport 101 podcast with Dre Ryan King um, and uh, RJ O'Connell live via satellite, uh, who yes. joins us on this week's oh, show. Yeah. Um, plenty of other ways you find us, including <laughs> Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. <laughs> Uh, We are on Twitter as well. It's at Motorsport underscore 101 if you want to follow us uh, on there. Um, Our website, as I mentioned a moment ago, is Motorsport101.net. Our YouTube channel where Day of Classics 2 took place this past weekend, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You could still go back and watch those, by the way. Um, The Day of Classics 2 broadcasts as we uh, talk to you through uh, the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indianapolis 500, the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500. So head to our YouTube channel right now to go and watch those um dre reliably informs us that there are some uh some golden moments in each of those broadcasts
1: yes yes there was i i i got a dog and a cat confused um live on air that, that went well um chris Cook hijacked the last 10 minutes to commentate and take to sato's tremendous victory um i lose my mind as sebastian vettel wins at monaco and it's like wait a minute i can't believe he's actually 25 points up now through six rounds um, which so yeah, a whole bunch of good stuff on there it's nearly 7 hours of, of total streaming combined once you put Monaco and the Indy 500 together it, it, was a, it was a tremendous time there was 10 of us during the 500 which is just nuts to say the least almost too nuts for us quite frankly but uh, there are some tremendous moments in there if you're willing to skim through I've actually, shout out to Chris Cook who actually went through the whole thing and timestamped some highlights so if you really want to give it a go watch it, check the comments out and uh, yeah there's some great ones in there so definitely check it out and enjoy youtube.com forward slash
0: motorsport 101 uh is the place to find that um and incidentally if you like us so much that you want to back us financially you can back us on patreon and it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport
1: 101 where
0: dre for the month of june um we've lowered the uh lowered the tiers, have we not
1: yes we have it's just because it's i'm such a nice guy for the month <laughs> of june It's only for the month of June. We have lowered the early access requirements down from five bucks a month to just three bucks a month. So there's never been a better time to be a Patreon backer for us indeed. So obviously that gives early access not just for Bike Live, but also for Motorsport 101 itself, including an episode that went up, oh God, two days ago now. But yeah. yeah, as he's into this, actually, yeah, by the time it goes out, we're more like three. My bad. But still, you get, you get the gist. Yes. Um, so, okay, that, so, yeah, you get the gist by now. So, yeah, basically, if you want to be an early access backer, you, you don't have to back five. We're only three bucks a month now for the month of June. So, yeah, if you want, if, if you want to get on the wagon, now is the best time ever to do yeah, if so. If you ever
0: need any encouragement to backers, then there it is. Right then, let's talk donnington Park and the World Superbikes, which took place last weekend, the UK round, as it's officially titled, um, for World Superbikes in 2017. And as I mentioned at the top, Dre, it was it was a round that was, of course, tinged with sadness. There was a, a cloud mm. hanging over um, the paddock last weekend. And I'm not talking about the uh, very black clouds uh, of rain that were prepared to dump on the circuit uh, throughout nope. the weekend. Um, mm. Nicky Hayden, of course, not with us, uh, no longer not with the World Superbike paddock. Although his bike was sat uh, in his garage at Honda, Rebel Honda, for most of the weekend, um, and in very, very classy fashion, the the paddock of World Superbikes paid tribute to him on Saturday uh, in the run up to race two. And I have to say, what a lovely image it was, where obviously team personnel and all the riders, and they actually allowed all the fans um, onto the start finish straight for the for the ceremony, if you like the. Uh, the minute of silence prior to race one. It was a lovely image as the paddock paid its respects. Yeah,
1: it, it, it was a be- it was beautifully done. Very well done from from Dorner and the guys at World Blacks. It, it was it was a wonderful image. It, it, it was very class that he put together. A nice touch to be able to let the fans go out onto the track to be as close as they possibly could to to the same memorial and and then the minute silence it w- it was it was beautifully done so a, a, a very classy move from from Dorna and everyone at World Superbikes for that one so I, I take my hat off to them for that one
0: yeah they did and um, Nicky Hayden has it was laid to rest in uh, his his hometown of Owensboro Kentucky uh, on Monday of this week um, the um, Funeral uh, ceremony, which took place uh, on, it was live streamed actually on his Facebook page, on the Nicky Hayden's official Facebook page, um, which was a lovely touch um, to yeah. allow his fans from all over the world uh, to tune in and watch um, his funeral. Um, Two thousand motorcycles leading, um, leading it, uh, leading the the funeral procession uh, to Beautiful. the church, which was just incredible, incredible spectacle and um, in true motorcycle racing fashion to have that kind of that kind of uh, ceremony. So um, yeah, he was. Uh, the respects were paid to him and it was all done in such a classy fashion um and in terms of the racing we got dre at donington park uh, on saturday and on sunday it's fair to say we got two absolutely cracking races to uh, to pay tribute to the man
1: yeah absolutely one, one of the best weekends i think Superbikes has had all season long maybe aragon might be the only one that's in the same conversation
0: Maybe
1: philip island as well but yeah in any case um two very different but two um, great, very enjoyable races in World well, Superbikes that uh, both told very different stories. And yeah, absolutely um, a great all-round weekend of action.
0: Mm, yeah, we, uh, we began the weekend then with Super Pole on, on Saturday morning, which went entirely to the form book um, as Tom Sykes took pole position from Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davies. Um, and what was astonishing from that Super Bowl session, Dre, was how far ahead the two Kawasaki's were. They were about three quarters of a second clear of the Ducatis and the rest on a one-minute 26 lap uh, at Donington Park, um, which kind of shows you uh, where World Superbikes is at these days with the uh, the gaps between the different bikes. Kawasaki seem to go so well um, around Donington Park. Um, and into race one, um, Chas Davies at one stage looked like he was going to pull off the big surprise, didn't he? Because he got out front from the outside of the front row and led it into turn one. Um, whilst the two Kawasaki's were getting mixed up with each other, It looked like Chaz Davis was going to pull off the big surprise, but in true Donington Davies fashion, it all went to pot very quickly for him.
1: Chaz, no, how many times? Uh, Yeah, it's 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 the. I don't want to call Chaz Davis a butler because that would be a harsh expression in in the context of Chaz in, in Worlds, and you know he's probably the number two or three pound for pound rider in the class, no matter which way you slice it. But Another Chaz Davis error, and it, it seemed like such a small error as well because he just he just lost the back on um, on the final corner, and it's just like oh, uh, you just go. Ugh. <laughs> it, it, was, it, like, it does seem as if when he has to make up
0: deficiencies with his bike, like when Kawasaki have the better better package, and he has to try and make up that difference, this happens. Um, yeah, it's, we, it's, we, it's, we saw it, like, it in Thailand, didn't we? In the in the restart where where Chaz went down, we saw it at Aragon, where you could argue he had the stronger package there maybe not yeah. by much but he arguably had it he was certainly in a battle with jonathan ray and down he went um and jonathan ray just doesn't do that does he now i know he did have a crash in race one which we'll come to in a moment but that was very, definitely not rider inflicted um from from jonathan ray it, do, it just seems when Chaz has to chase or when he's having to ride beyond the limits, to try and beat these kawasaki's crashes unfortunately end up happening to him and that's two years running where Chaz has crashed out of the lead in a race uh, at donington park um what we ended up with was the, kind of the race we were expecting a, two, a battle between the two Kawasakis, but it started early, didn't it, Dre? With um, the two fighting for second place um, early in the race. And we said a few weeks ago that we'd seen one of the overtakes uh, of the season in, in a World Superbike race, but Jonathan Ray looked like he was trying to take that title for himself. With that move down the crater curves on Tom Sykes, round the outside of Tom oh, Sykes, down the crater curves on a guy who's probably better around the circuit than anyone else in the world. What on earth was that overtake?
1: I, I don't know how this man does it sometimes. It's like, it, it's. it's <laughs> like, that's it's, not an overtaking spot, Johnny. No, not even close. Um, Yeah, I, I've, I've come to the conclusion that uh, Jonathan Ray has stones the size of watermelons. Uh, I, I don't, that's the only logical explanation for that move. Like, that was stunning. That was absolutely stunning stuff. From Jonathan Ray, right? like one of the passes of the year in any form of motorcycle racing, two wheels or four, quite frankly, because like that is not an overtaking spot. That is Tom Sykes, who has dominated this circuit for five years now and he's been the guy to beat round here, and to do that to him on that, and during that race situation, it could have very easily ended up in curtains.
0: Well, or- James Whitam said on commentary, that's a difficult move to pull on a guy who you're lapping, who's four seconds a lap slower than you. <laughs> that's a lot of Tom Sykes at Donington Park. Um, so it was, it was a ridiculous overtake from Jonathan Ray, and it was almost as if the red mist came down for Tom Sykes after that. It was honestly thought, oh, fuck, I'm not having this. Um, and put a bit of a, a bit of a rash move on him a few corners later, which sent Sykes down to fourth, um, which looked at, for a large part, Dres, if that was going to cost him race one. Because, of course, when Chaz went down, Jonathan Ray had a two-second lead over Tom Sykes, and that took some pulling back from Tom Sykes until, with around seven to go, he managed to pull him back, and we got the battle between the two Kawasaki riders that in the lead-up to the weekend, given Sykes' record at Donington and Ray's record this season, period, that's kind of the battle we've all been hoping to see.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it's the, the, the sad reality has been we've we've, we've lacked a, a true fight with these two on equal footing for some time, and it's either the, the case this season that Jonathan's had a little bit more than Tom, or Tom's been able to run it close but not been able to really hassle Jonathan into making mistakes or, or you know, making regular overtake moves on him. So. Um, yeah, like, when, when, like it's, it's, we've not really seen them on equal terms this season. Um, and this was the first time we really saw it, which is kind of strange, really, because Jonathan's not been the strongest round Donington over the years. Again, this is Tom Sykes' track, which is kind of ominous, really, for the rest of the season, but more on that later. Well, but well yeah. Sykes
0: hadn't beaten Ray anywhere all year up until race one at Donington Park. Ray was 10 for 10 um, in races against Tom Sykes. Um, and it was the 11th time of asking that Sykes finally, um, got the W up against him. Um, and it was, it was kind of telling, I suppose, for a large part of that race, um, how Sykes caught Ray. He, He, eroded that two second lead away and then caught him and then was following him for a large part of that race. And what was this, what was a shame is it was just as that battle was actually getting good, um, fate intervened, I suppose, didn't it, Dre? Because Sykes overtook Ray down at the Melbourne Loop. Ray then went to try and overtake him again into Goddard's, trying to take it back and got his nose cut off, essentially, uh, by his teammate, who was basically sending a message to say, no, I really want this one, um, and you're going to have to fight for it. And then, unfortunately, Ray started to very, very slowly, well, actually, very quickly, as it happened, fall back from his teammate. He started to lose three seconds a lap, and um, as he came down the crane of curves with a couple to go, we
1: soon found out why. Exactly. um, Look, it's... It's a crash that you know in in real like it was bizarre because Jonathan Ray's pace had dropped right off like almost immediately after Sykes had broken free. So part of me was first thinking, okay, is 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 Ray taking the easy twenty points here? But then you realise Leon Haslam is taking like chunks of time out of him per sector um, as the laps were going on. So it was clear that Jonathan had a significant problem. And the problem was that, basically, the, the tire was not sticking to the rim, basically. And it's about two laps later, the whole thing comes off the tire at the bottom of the crane the curves, and Jonathan Ray goes flying into the gravel. Another one of those, oh, my God, level crashes where you just go, oh, Jesus, that that's, that's awful. Um, luckily, Jonathan was okay. Um, bike had seen better days, but... Um, yeah, a very, very bizarre act. I don't think I've ever seen that before in Black Racing where a tire has literally fallen off the rim like that. Um bizarre and it's like it's like tradition with jonathan ray like, like despite how good he is there was always going to be at least one mechanical hiccup he'll get <laughs> every season that's not his fault it's it's a weird one it's like it's the only way they bring jonathan down is like the riding gods are telling him sorry mate we've got to bounce the books a little bit here hey yeah. have this one yeah um, reverse grids good. haven't
0: worked so we're gonna we're gonna take your tire off the rim and see if that makes yeah that difference. works <laughs> um but pirelli reacted immediately by withdrawing that tire compound from the allocation they just pulled it um, immediately so they didn't have that tyre option available for race two on the Sunday but um but yeah it's it just goes to show that I mean we're often quick to you know when our riders dominating a championship or winning races like this season we're very quick to say well that's championship over um but I guess it just goes to show doesn't it because it's amazing that Jonathan Rager got up and walked away from a crash like that it was such a high-speed crash that he was so lucky that he wasn't injured in all of that um, his championship lead after that had come from 74 points over Davies, 75 over Sykes, to 50 over Sykes, with Sykes going on to win that first race. And it just goes to show, doesn't it? If Jonathan Ray was injured and didn't start race two and Sykes won that one, we're down to 25 points. So it just goes to show, you know, in a sport such as this, how one moment could still open this championship up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is a guy that has only had one that, that one result out of the 12 races we've had so far outside of the top two, and yet despite that, we could have very easily had a championship back on again if Ray couldn't take the grid for race two the next day, um, which would be just a cruel, cruel twist of fate for Jonathan in that case, again, a, a crash to be freakiest of freak accidents would put him out like that, but... Uh, yeah, again, it goes to show you that, uh, again, that Sykes and Davis have had at least de- Like, especially Sykes has had decent levels of consistency all the way through this season where Jonathan isn't just going to completely run away with this just yet, no. maybe, kind well, of, well, sort of.
0: It'll you know? he, he, take more of these DNFs, won't it, to, to open it back up. A few more stories, though, from, from race one and to talk about before we come on to race two. Leon Haslam, uh, amongst them, who... Uh, went full dive bomb into Redgate on the first lap, took uh, Eugene Laverty out wide, and poor Alex Lowe's, who was on the outside of the corner, effectively um, got sat up and dropped all the way down to 19th. Um, keep a note of that, because that'll be important in a moment. Um, but Leon Haslam, um, taking full advantage of that early move, he ran second earlier on in the race, and with Jonathan Ray's retirement, and Marco Malandri's relative lack of pace on the Aruba Ducati, the sole Ducati really up the front once Davies had gone down, Haslam was rewarded with second place, and we got the Kawasaki one 2 we were expecting just not the same two bikes we were expecting to ride. What a ride from Haslam!
1: Well, happy birthday to Leon Haslam, and that's one hell of a birthday present there from from the man from Elin himself. Elin's finest, us Elin guys know what we're doing. Um, but uh, yeah, fantastic stuff from Haslam, and again, like you can only be who they put in front of you at the end of yeah. the day, and, and again, that was that was a very impressive performance from Haslam i know he, he 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 loves these kawasakis and he's ridden like this is basically his home circuit so he's 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 rode a bajillion laps around here Let so we he know
0: local happens. hero we mean
1: local hero oh god yeah like, like he, he lives literally on the doorstep out- yeah, like he lives literally just down the road from the circuit. He's done little laps around here for days and days and days. So like, no one on the planet knows this track better than he does. But in any case, yeah, absolutely. Like, incredible um, performance from Haslam there. Just to come back there in that level of field and act like you've been here before, which he has, but still. Um, yeah, again, it's fantastic stuff from Haslam. And we all know he's, he's World Superbike level caliber. He has been, like when he was at Aprilia in his last season over there, he... You know, he'd won multiple races and, you know, he he was very, very solid in an Aprilia that wasn't quite championship level. But, yeah, Haslam is a tremendous rider. We've always said this about him. This is not new information for us. And... Yeah, like I said, he was a little bit fortunate to, to have a, have a situation where guys were round wide and other guys were taken out, and again, Jonathan had the freak accident. But like I said, he can only beat you that he put in front of you, and he'll gladly take that second place to go home with.
0: Just goes to show as well, a timely reminder, and I think of Stuart Higgs, the series director of BSB, um, who was was at Donington Park for the World Superbikes because he has an involvement in that as well when the uh, series comes um, to the UK. But that's British Superbike Championship leader, Leon Haslam, um, yes. finishing second uh, in a World Superbike race, which just goes to show how the how strong uh, the standard is at the front of that field. When you see guys like Gintoli and Giuliano, OK, not on the best bikes in the field, but when you see them going over to um, the British Superbike Championship and struggling to make the top 10, let's face it. Um, it just goes to show how strong uh, the calibre of the field is there, and you've know, you you've got to feel like guys like Shaky Byrne, who, I don't know why we haven't seen any wildcard outings from Shaky in World Two Heights. maybe he just doesn't have the appetite for it. Um, he'd, he'd, he'd much rather just stand with a Eurosport t-shirt on and, and, and get, offer his punditry on it. Um, but you've got to think that if guys like Shaky Byrne Perhaps even Luke Mossy these days, with the, the the pace that he's picking up, you could slot them into any World Superbike race, and they'd probably do the kind of things that Leon Haslam's doing. The standard is so strong up there.
1: Yeah, it's like it, it's it's becoming clear that the the, the British Superbike series is now the like perennial domestic series in Europe now for bike racing. Um, so when 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 you factor all of that in and. You know, you're absolutely right. I would love to see Shaky take part in Worlds again and see where he would fit in on that Ducati because Ducati is a strong bike and, you know, Chaz Davis has done great, great things on that bike. But uh, as you say, he'd much rather be on a Eurosport t-shirt advising James Button on his dinner choices. But, um, hey, where do we get your paychecks going? Who wouldn't
0: go? want to do that? Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but we said, didn't we, at the end of last year when BSB went to, um, to Assam where shaky burns pole lap in the bsb round at and would have put him second to tom sykes on the grid for the world super super bike race earlier that year yeah. um so that's the kind of level they're operating at it is almost like a world championship light um that they're, that they're running in bsb these days the standard is so high um and you'd argue that the manufacturers are much more closely competitive over there but perhaps the series is designed to achieve that um with the the kind of controls that are in place over there which you probably wouldn't be able to get away with um, in a world championship where the manufacturers are spending the kind of money that they are to compete these days. Um, Kawasaki um, were the prime example of that because they picked up their 100th World Superbike Race win um, in race two. We'll come into that in a second, but we, uh, we mentioned Alex Lowe's um, who got punted all the way down to 19th in race one. Um, who would have thought from all of that, Dre, that he would come back to finish on the rostrum given that <laughs> Yamaha and Alex Lowe's haven't had a podium yet this season. They've had a number of front row starts and race two poles. Um, to try and take a podium so far this season. Yeah, Alex Lowe has managed to pull one off from 19th on the opening lap.
1: Yeah, that is unbelievable. I mean, the podium finish has been a long time coming for Alex Lowe's in this class, and he's he, he had finished in fourth place four of the first five rounds going into the year just one too many guys in front of him on better machinery and again Lowe's has only had the one DNF he's ironed out a lot of the kinks in his game he's certainly improved from where he was last year alongside the bike and this was a just reward for Alex. This was a phenomenal performance from Alex Lowe's, um, one of the riders of the weekend in, in, in general. Um, just, just excellent, excellent stuff. Video you know, was unfortunate to, to, you know, have the bike be where it was, given he was the unfortunate tangle of that free wide you mentioned earlier, um, where well, that's that's never going to work, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, no, that's that
0: wrong time, wasn't he? Essentially, but, yeah.
1: That's say, but Lowe's loves this place. It's He's always gone well around here in his domestic days, as well as his World super bike. Races. This has always been a special round for him, and, you know, a, a absolutely phenomenal ride. And he knew it was a phenomenal ride the moment he crossed the line, and he could see the, the, the tears flying out of his yeah. eyes when, when he pulled the bike back. This is a guy going nuts over finishing third. It was like he was doing his best Jorge Lorenzo impression out yeah. there. But, I thought um, there was a pond trip to jump into. Um, but, but no, yeah, but no, you saw how much it meant to him. Um,
0: didn't you? And this is a guy who really is working at it. And as you say, it's, it's, it's a much more mature approach with Alex Lowe's this year. He's, you know, he's he's recognising that when when podiums aren't there to be taken, just get the best result you can. Don't crash it trying to make it fit when it won't fit. Um, just take the results that are on offer. And, and he's been rewarded for that. Fifth in the championship um, for Alex Lowe's. Um, he's having the measure of his teammate Michael Van Der Mark, who we all rate very highly um on this show and Alex Lowe's having the better of him at the moment this season uh, in that team and that's what he's got to do that's how he's going to either earn a ride with a better team um with the greatest respect to Yamaha or um that's going to make Yamaha decide that when they are fully competitive this is the guy to take us forward and win for us um so so fantastic effort from from Alex Lowe's um he said after race one that that was the finest ride of his career. Now, our absent co-host is probably in the best position to judge that, given that she's, she's seen them all yeah. literally. Um, but I'm certainly in that camp. Dre, I don't know about you. I can't remember a better Alex Lowe's ride than that. I guess, yeah, I guess well, it's he, easier to stand now when you come from 19th to third, but it, I, yeah, can't, no, I can't remember it. him having a better ride than that in his World Superbike career.
1: No, mean, even certainly in his World career, maybe in his British career as well. Again, like be- Rebecca James would be the perfect person to ask on this one. Um, given that uh, she knows his career like the rain man, so to speak, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. In any case, yeah, this this was an incredible performance, the best I've seen Alex Lowe's ride a bike in his career, um, and just this this is just a reminder of the talent that the man has, and he's, he's always been capable of this. It's and. I'm glad that he's got. he's finally got the platform where he can see the best of Lowe's and Neo. He is absolutely deserving of his top five spot in the championship right now. He's only 16 points off Marco Melandri, who's on a much faster bike. So it, it kind of says it all, really, that, that Lowe's is doing a phenomenal job on a, on a machine that, yeah, certainly has improved, but it's still not on the level of Kawasaki and Ducati. And despite yeah. that, he's the best of the rest guy right now, and he's mixing up with, with guys above his weight. So... Yeah, like the phenomenal performance from Lowe's. He's, he's, and, and this is, a, again, like I said, a just reward for the hard work he's put in all season long.
0: He's, uh, he's also 19 points ahead of his teammate, uh, Michael van der Mark. And given that the best the Yamaha has finished this season now is third, which is 16 points, a 19-point lead is effectively a race's worth of points and then some. Um, for Alex Lowe's because Yamaha's aren't going to be scoring 25s and 20s anywhere for, for the foreseeable future we don't think in World Superbike so uh, that's a sizable <laughs> lead that Alex Lowe's has over his teammate Vandermark. Um, two riders who we were expecting to be very very closely matched um, over the course of this season uh, on to race two then and Kawasaki as we mentioned were chasing their 100th World Superbike win Sykes' win on Saturday was their 99th um, but of course there was more to it than that in race two Sykes going for the perfect 10 Ray starting from position 10 uh, on the grid um, and Jonathan Ray ended up getting the better of him, and if we're trying to establish Ray, where this race was won, or lost, if you're Tom Sykes, it was probably won in the first lap and a
1: half. Um, yeah, clearly like Jonathan Ray, clearly frustrated at how race one played out for, I'm going to go home and watch Donington 93, <laughs> and watch Ayrton Senna's first lap for inspiration, and I thought, you know, I'm going to copy this. Um, and, like, within what a lap and a half, he was, he was leading the race, and don't get me wrong. This is not a fluke. Like Jonathan Ray's been doing this supremely well yeah. <laughs> all season long. I mean, it, it goes to show you he's won all but one race twos. Being, actually, no, he was second in race two in everyone as well. But again, he's he's he has been the guy to basically, no matter where he started that race two, He's gone up through the field incredibly quickly. And it's usually this, <laughs> this, 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 this was the pick of the bunch. Like, and he's, like, an Assen, for example, he was leading by the end of lap two. And, then, and this time around, again, it was even earlier now. So, like, that is the kind of thing where you could probably play the first three minutes of that race forever as, like, one of the great starts in biking history. That was... That was phenomenal to watch. Jonathan Ray is a man possessed at the start of race two. It's, it's incredible.
0: And it, it became crucial in the end, didn't it? Because we saw Tom Sykes, who at this stage, was still back in eighth or ninth position. Um, when, uh-huh. John, when Jonathan Ray was passing Leandro Mercado for the lead, and we'll talk about Mercado in a bit, because he had a very good weekend uh, at Donington Park. Um, but Sykes was still back in eighth or ninth. And by the time Sykes had managed to get himself to the front of that chase group, which was led by Van der Mark, the gap was four seconds. And yeah. no matter how good you are around Donington Park, that's too much of a bridge to gap. Oh, gap to bridge should I say
1: exactly especially when it's Jonathan Ray at the front and after, it's it's not going to look as impressive to the casual fan watching that because oh, Jonathan's like Jonathan can ride it easy he, very, he was very smart at how Ray handled that with the gap coming down he it, it was very measured, it was almost one lap at a time where he's like, okay, I'm going to put one fast lap in, I'm going to take it easy, make sure this tire doesn't overheat, make sure I'm not going to make any mistakes. Sure, I don't mind sacrificing like three temps or four temps on uh, every other lap to Thomas, Sykes, who is obviously going to ride the bike to the limit and then beyond, trying to chase him down. Ray managed that perfectly like i've watched that and i thought okay with three laps to go it looked like Sykes was going to run out of time and that's exactly what happened it was just a perfectly dictated race pace from jonathan again here and that's how the streak was essentially broken mm, because yeah.
0: sykes was relentless uh once he'd gone into second he was he, i mean it was an incredible time attack that we were seeing between the two Absolutely. kawasaki's at the front i mean sykes was doing relentless 127s um, as he was trying to chase his teammate down, which is incredible, setting fastest lap after fastest lap. But but Ray had the gap. And he was able to control it. And, and at one point, it looked as if the catch was on, um, where Sykes got it down to a second with a couple of laps to go. It looked as if the catch might be on. Um, but Jonathan Ray responded uh, in the end to take that victory. And it's his first win at Donington since 2012. Of um, course, Sykes has pretty much had the monopoly of that ever since. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's kind of striking, isn't it, that Jonathan Ray, ever since the winter, has been talking about this he's been talking about him. Steve English spoke on the Wealthy commentary on Friday that he spoke to Jonathan Ray at the Hareth test in November uh, this was the test that was made famous by Jonathan Ray beating a lot of the MotoGP riders on the day on, time, on the timesheets and Jonathan Ray was saying back then that one of his targets for 2017 was to win at Donington given how hard it's been uh, in recent years, um, and it kind of just goes to show the level that Jonathan Ray's at at the moment, doesn't it, Dre? Because um, as um, Gordon Ritchie, the World Superbike, uh, Superbike expert of MCN, points out, Jonathan Ray has now beaten Chaz Davies at his strongest track
1: of Aragon, and he's now beaten Tom Sykes at his strongest track of Donington. It's, it's yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's incredible. Like The man just keeps finding new levels of brilliance. And, like, yeah, you like to motivate t- himself as well.
0: This was a yeah. serious motivation for him this year.
1: Yeah, it's like, again, if, if he's thinking like that from, God, nine months away to this moment right here when he's already a double World Superbike champion, and that, that's that's an incredible amount of motivation and dedication. to even. mentality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so you know what? I'm going to try and beat you on your best track and completely demoralize you, and that's exactly what he did. He broke Chaz Davis at his best circuit at Aragon, and sure, he may have lost 20 championship points, but I think... If you would have said to Jonathan Ray, if you're willing to give up 20 points, how would you feel like to break Tom Sykes' Donington streak? I reckon he would take it because, like, he's still got 55 on... in the bank. Exactly, he's got 55 in the he's got 55 in the bank. He's got two races, he's got an entire weekend in hand still, and he's already beaten Sykes almost pillar to post every single race this season, but bar one, and that even that one was nothing to do with Jonathan himself like for him to do that that like that must be an emotional hammer blow that's like Sykes must be infuriated in that paddock, knowing god I gave one up to Jonathan like that on my best circuit on the circuit that you've dominated for half a decade and that that just says it all really if Jonathan Ray is doing that then how could a double world champion keep finding like new levels of brilliance to, to, to aspire and new targets to hit it's a uh, it's incredible, and again, you, I look at Wikipedia, and I just see his results. I just see, my God, it's just it's just gold and silver everywhere. Yes. It's, it's it's insane. Like, like like I think Gregory Haynes, a uh, friend of the show, um, said it during race two before the before the Donator crash. He'd scored ninety four percent of all available points yes. this season, and that like that is almost he only dropped fifteen. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that's literally unbeatable. There is no other way of describing it, and. It's and again, it was very unlucky to have that to have that awful that tire rim falling off in, in Doylington, But uh, in any case, like this, this, this man is pound for pound might be as good as any rider on the planet right I was now. Say, he, it
0: takes us back to those power rankings we mentioned earlier on. If we were doing a pound for pound ranking of motorcycle riders at the moment, Jonathan Ray would be he'd be top top five, wouldn't he? At the very least, um, in the world at the moment, you, you're looking you're putting him in the same category as guys like Vinales and. Um, Marquez and Pedroza and Rossi at the moment he's, I think he's, he's, he's not far off that level the level he's operating at at the moment in World Superbikes because he's beating um, guys who are world champions in their own right, Sykes is a World Superbike champion, Davies is a World Supersport champion um, and has been the only guy on any other make of motorcycle and capable of challenging the Kawasaki's um, yeah, for a absolutely. number of years now um, Jonathan Ray is really at the top of his game, Sykes not at the top of his game in the end, um, his streak stopped at 9 which is still uh, in its uh, in its own, a world superbike record. No rider has ever won nine straight races at a single circuit, um, breaking Carl Fogarty's record of eight at Assen, a record or loss of record that Fogarty took with uh, good grace. I say with hints of sarcasm, on the Eurosport (laughs) coverage, given that he was a pundit, Um, and that news was broken to him, and he he didn't exactly uh, seem too overjoyed that his record had been broken. Well, you're taking a record off Carl Fogarty in World Superbikes, You know you're doing something right uh, these days. Um, But uh, Sykes, in the end, losing that streak in race two. And um, whilst we quite rightly sing the praises of Jonathan Ray for the way he sliced through the field uh, in race two, (sighs) Tom Sykes just took too long, didn't he?
1: Yeah, just a little bit too much, and I think Sykes admitted after the race that he pushed it maybe a little bit too hard in those final five laps or so coming up to the end, and yeah, as you said, just just, just ran out of laps, overrode the bike a little bit, and just ran out of time, and it's a shame, like, like Jonathan Ray has that one extra ace in the hole, he's a better overtaker than Tom Sykes is, there, there, there's no debate in my book, but... That you know, Ray is a more aggressive rider. He's willing to take those risks that Tom Sykes isn't willing to take, and you know that's that's nothing against Tom as a rider, but that's just that's just what we're dealing with here. This is the level that Jonathan Ray is on. It's it's an unprecedented level in World Superbikes. You've never seen a rider that's 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 doing this well before. Where. We know we're half. We're not even half of the season yet, and he's on course to smash the all-time points record as well. And you know he's one, god, one, two, five, six, seven, eight out of eleven 8 out of twelve rounds so far this season. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I, I don't want to criticize Sykes too much because he's dealing with a ridiculous superhuman. Yeah, it, 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 it
0: seems harsh, doesn't it, to criticize the yeah. rider for not overtaking nine bikes in a lap and a
1: quarter? But that's kind of what you got to do to to beat Jonathan Bray exactly like like it's like you've got to throw the house at it right now it's it, it reminds me a lot of that epic Wimbledon final a few years ago with Andy Roddick against Roger Federer and I think it went something like 18-16 in the fifth set after a ridiculous long, long, long win by two battle and I remember Andy Roddick the great charismatic um, man that he is winner or loser was interviewed by Sue Barker after the final and he, and he goes like listen I, I threw the kitchen sink at Roger today unfortunately Roger went to the back and got his tub yes. uh, <laughs> and, a great sporting quote. Yeah, one of the great sports quotes i can remember but it, it reminds me of that it's like it's not like roddick played badly in the same place as the way that sykes was incredible in like it was an incredible time attack to try and chase down jonathan ray but the man that you can't give him a four second head start it's like you, you just can't do it it's too much um like i said like even for a man that's super fuming around here jonathan ray has no weakness in his game anymore. And Like, can you think of one? Because I no. can't think of one. Like, there's no conceivable weakness to this, this, this man as a rider. No, because he's, uh, he's not even a bad qualifier now either, is he? I mean, that was that was Tom Sykes'
0: first outright poll of the season yeah. because he inherited he a not. poll from Jonathan Ray and Assen when Ray got his penalty for blocking Chaz Davies. But that was the first time John, uh, Tom Sykes had actually taken a poll outright all year. Um, second time he'd outqualified Ray outright because he, he beat him to second on the grid at Imola uh, in the round before. Um, but yeah, there is no obvious weakness with, with Jonathan Ray these days, oh. given that now Kawasaki appear to have gone the route that we would kind of been expecting them to for a while, where this latest incarnation of Kawasaki's X10R is much more of Jonathan Ray's kind of bike than it is Tom Sykes's, um, which is no great surprise, given that Johnny Ray is their leading rider now. Um, in terms of the battle then that we got between the two in race two, Um, It was a battle from distance, given that Sykes was trying to challenge Ray from four seconds behind. And and Sykes, after the race, um, he was graceful, it has to be said, in his interview to Eurosport afterwards. But he did offer um, some other observations of it. Um, First, making the point that um, Jonathan Ray's starting position of 10th, given that he was on the outside of the racetrack, he says, I saw Jonathan go around the outside from his natural starting position and it made his race very easy. Um, Sykes basically saying that he was boxed in on the inside. Of that first corner. Uh, he also says there was also an early crash in the last turn. It was very dangerous and that made us hesitate. This was the accident between Leandro Mikado and Leon Haslam at the final corner, a few laps in, which saw uh, Haslam taken out of the race and Mikado, although he continued, he'd crash again um, later on. Um, Sykes was then asked if this was to do with the reverse grid rules, um, which of course send the top three back to row three and then are reversed. Um, rows two and three are then moved up one to effectively become rows one and two. Jonathan Ray, having crashed in race one, was sent to 10th on the grid um, for race two. Sykes says, in terms of what the fans came here to see, which was a big, big battle, the reverse grid totally pissed on the bonfire. Um, As a professional (laughs) rider, I would say, those are his words. uh, As a professional rider, I would say, scrap the idea. We have seen too many incidents with other riders trying a bit too hard. They almost get overexcited and try to do something different with the reverse grid. All I have seen is a much bigger mess In the first lap. Jonathan was leading in lap two. So it is not really changing much. It's almost none of my business as I turn up and ride a bike. But maybe it's time for a discussion. Does it change the show? I don't think so. If anything it destroys the show. In race one it was Jonathan and me. The fight was better. But in race two with the reverse grid. Jonathan was gone. Which fight was better for you? Race one or race two? This answers the question. Um, Now the, the obvious thing to say to that Drake. If we're being particularly devious. Is to say Tom Sykes would say that um because yes. he lost the race um yes <laughs> but does he have a point
1: kind of um yeah I, I, like there's there's a lot to d- dissect in Sykes's comments and I don't think you can go 100% one way or the other here um it, it depends on how cynical you want to be because Sykes has struggled in race twos all season long and um you know sick fit philip island uh, second in thailand but you know we had the had to really work hard against marco Melandri for that one four foot aragon yeah second at last but that was a clear second compared to where he was and you know third at imola but again behind his teammate and again second here again losing out to jonathan ray on the gun, his strongest circuit and he's not had the best time of it in race two and we've seen it with our own eyes. Jonathan Ray is just a stronger, more confident, more aggressive passer in the early stages of a grand Prix. And he's made that one of the aces in his holes. now basically as the season's gone on, um, I thought race two was just as captivating as race one, but for different reasons. Like, I like a good time trial every once in a while. Sometimes there is a thrill in the chase, as just as much as it is seeing an on-track battle. Because seeing those lap times and seeing the battle and seeing the gap come down it was is one intense. of those races
0: where, if you're watching it with the live timing, it's it's a thriller. Um, because <laughs> you could see you could see the gap coming down. And if you're perhaps watching trackside, it might have come across as a bit of a bore. Um, watching them ride a couple seconds apart you know you you might not be able to discernibly see from trackside the gap closing um but these comments from sites come at at an interesting time given that Gregorio Lovia who has an involvement with the technical side of World Superbikes and and the regulations of course a former um, British Superbike champion um he 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 has commented this week Dre that they're going to review um this concept of, of reversing the grid or partway reversing the grid for race two um as to whether it's actually um making a difference um sykes has said scrap it <laughs> which is um, mm. obviously an extreme way of addressing it but um i don't, I don't know i was trying to look back at the, the the season we've had so far and how many of the race twos have we seen that have been discernibly
1: improved by the reverse grid if any sure. um Honest answer, maybe one, maybe Thailand, and that might be about it. And
0: that, uh, and that was a race where we got a red flag and a, and a whole new grid set up anyway.
1: Exactly. And yeah, like if, if if you're World Superbikes, if you're, I mean, for me, it's pretty clear that you you brought in this race to reverse grid rule to try and enhance the show.
0: And I think they deserve credit uh, for doing so. I think we all, and, I think we all agreed at the time something had to be done.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I like I applaud World Superbikes for for having the the gumption to try something different, and that's something that many motorsport series just don't do. Like like they they are dead set in their ways. It takes something ridiculously radical for any change to get happen at all. F1 Strategy Group, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's one of those situations where. There's no quick fix here, and I think David Emmett put up a really interesting thread about this the other day, where they said straight up, okay, like maybe they're attacking this from the wrong angle. Like it's not that the reverse grid rule does or doesn't work; it's the fact that four bikes in the field are significantly better than everyone else's, and they, they are going. They to...
0: slice through the field so quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. and they, and because guys are Jonathan Ray, like and he mentions what Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davis in, in David's opinion are a complete class above everybody else in worlds. so whether that's whether you agree that is, is your opinion but there's no coincidence that the two outstanding race winners in worlds the last two years have been johnny and Chaz. and you know Chaz won 11 grand prix last year kind of says it all um when you look at jonathan the four he hasn't won Chaz davis has taken three of those four and like those are the two guys that have the biggest upside in the series and when They are so good, it doesn't matter where you start them from because they will get through the field because they're that much better than everybody else, not named Tom, unfortunately. Because the way the field is right now Yamaha and Yamaha, you know, Zavi Fores on the satellite, Ducati, Leon Cameo, the BMWs, the Aprilias, the Hondas, etc. They're just not on that level. That the, the four bikes that are there are significantly better than everybody else, and unfortunately. Your hands are kind of tied when it comes to trying to improve it for that reason, because you you can't really punish the manufacturers either. And then there's a whole ethical question of whether you want to do that in the first place. Hmm. But but what, what, when you've got two factories like Kawasaki that have be- has become the class race conversion superbike manufacturer of the world right now, and Ducati are a close second where that's concerned. And because of the fact they can throw so many more resources at what they're doing, like even if you could say, okay, standardised DCEs for the bikes like they did in MotoGP, or maybe give the fact, give the smaller teams more concessions like bigger fuel tanks, or you know, like stickier tyres, or something like something along those lines, the guys at the front will find a way to come out on top, and then you've got two ridiculous top ten pound for pound riders at the front of those factory efforts as well to overcome. It's just, I think it's too big a hurdle to overcome. And I think Worlds may have underestimated the difference in, in you know, the combination of talent and and, and and bike and resources between, you know, Chaz, Jonathan, Kawasaki, Ducati, and the rest of the field. And again, like, I'm not saying the reverse grid rule hasn't worked, but I, I think it's just, I just don't think it's the right solution for what the series needs right now.
0: No, it's... it's yeah, you, you make a good point. And, I mean, how many times in MotoGP, for instance, have we seen Valentino Rossi recently win races from the third row of a grid? And that's, that's in MotoGP. I mean, starting from the yeah. third row, is not perhaps the penalty that it would be for starting... Starting ninth in a Formula One race, you're not winning it in any circumstances, no. really. Um, no, these days. exactly. Um, whether it's Monaco or, or Bahrain, you're not winning from there. It's too far back. The field spread is such that you're not going to come back from there. But in a, in a motorcycle race... Ninth on the grid, three to a row, is not quite the um kind of hurdle that you can't jump over if you're really, yeah. really good. Um so yeah, there there are more issues at play here than um just where you put the bikes on the grid. The bikes have all got to be close enough and competitive to race each other. Um, you know, the guys who are on the first and second rows need to be out on bikes that are good enough to find fend these guys off. Um and the fact is they're not um by any measure at the moment. Um, if you accept that this hasn't worked um, I guess the question is, Dre, do you persevere with a regulation that isn't working? Because as you say, it's difficult now for them to go back. The can't exactly go back to last year and go back to the let's have the same grid for both races kind of deal um, because surely that's just going to basically go back to where we were a year ago and we all complained yeah. a year ago that races one and two were identical and needed changing. Um, so what do they do? Do they go for a sort of halfway house solution and go with fastest laps? Because like I say, they, they've as you say, they've kind of gone to a point now where it would almost be they'd almost lose face if they go
1: back to where they were a year ago exactly we mentioned this off the air like i called it pandora's box where basically last year was the series admitting that races one and two you know were, were virtually identical there was a lack of incentive to watch race two over race one um because you kind of had a rough idea what was going to happen before it even started and Basically, Wild Superbikes opened Pandora's box by basically saying, OK, this isn't working. We're going to have a level of entertainment factor thrown into Race 2 um, to basically try and make you know try and enhance the show, as many guys would say. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what this reverse grid rule was, int- was intending to do. It was trying to bring the more powerful bikes further back. And unfortunately now, you can't really go back on that now. Because like I said, uh, like you said, Lewis, the... Uh, if you go back now you're basically going back to where we started which is arguably worse still now to say that okay I have exactly just gonna, the same grid for two races yeah mm-hmm. we're just, just just gonna sit Jonathan up the front every race and you know, you know what's the worst that could happen so like now you've opened Pandora's box you've, you've now got to deal with the consequences of that now by basically saying okay we have to deal with whatever this throws up now basically we have to we have to keep tweaking this now until we find a way to make it work so you could say, okay, maybe maybe reverse the first four rows instead of the first three and see if that makes a difference. Maybe bring guys like Stefan Braudel or... Or you know, or Jordi Torres into play by by giving them you know more roads to play with, so to speak, and giving the guys at the back a little bit more work to do. As you say, maybe go by fastest laps because we've seen that now in the British series of race two, where it's decided now on fastest laps as opposed to you know being decided on grip position like it was before. So it's a little bit more unpredictable where that's concerned. Um, so like again i don't think there's an easy fix here and i, I think Wald's is going about this the wrong way i don't think it's the grids that need to be solved. i think it's the way these bikes are calibrated yeah. and the way that these resources are affecting the grid i think kawasaki and Jakati are just too big for what they are and too big for the series from a competitive standpoint the problem with that is is that it brings up two questions one how do you barely balance the field out fairly and enough to that Kawasaki and Ducati you're actively afflicted? And two, should you do it? It's like Jurassic yeah, Park. It's like you, <laughs> you can't tell these teams to stop spending money because if you tell them to stop spending money, they'll probably just pack up and go home. Exactly, because for Kawasaki, this is all they've got. They, they haven't they have been in MotoGP now for a good, what, seven or eight years? Mm. But they've carved out their market in superbikes now. world because...
0: leaders in production racing
1: motorcycles. Exactly, and... You can't tell them, oh, spend less. That's a key part of Kawasaki's business model as a company. So you can't tell them, you know, oh, we're going to try and noose you in your biggest advertising ground, which is the World Superbike Championship, because they're not in MotoGP anymore. This is this is their bed and butter now. So you can't tell them, oh, we're going, we, oh, we are, uh, we're going, we're going, we're going to nerf you a little bit now because we think you're too good. Like, it's a bit like Formula One. Like, can you really tell Merckx? Oh, please. Like, you know, like, I'll give you an example because I remember in 2014 when Lewis Hamilton won the title, you know, first year that Merckx had come in with the, with the hybrids and they completely dominated. They won, I think it was 16 out of 19 races that season. Like, like Mercedes lost 75 million as a company that year for, for, for that season. But they reckoned they gained two billion pounds worth of marketing money by winning the constructors and the world drivers championship. That's priceless to a brand like Mercedes, and it'll be the same deal on a smaller level for Kawasaki. You can't afford. You can't tell them, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna nerf you, because Kawasaki will just say, all right, fine, we'll stick to, we'll stick to the British series, which is again very prevalent now on European TV and again has prolific names like Leon Haslam leading the charge and Luke Mossi, who's a star of the future who's just maybe a star right now for all, who, for all we know so yeah it's it's this is there's no easy solution to this and I I, I don't think there's a clear-cut problem which is just going to make multiple bikes task that much harder in the long run because You can't really manipulate the bikes a bit like Formula One. It's like we know the teams are not going to say, oh, yeah, I want to be less competitive and give up my slice of the pie for everybody else. But at the same time, it's also like this... The, the, the format of World Superbikes doesn't work right now with two factories hmm. this much better than everybody else. It's a, you're caught between a rock and a hard place and there's there's no quick fix and there's no easy solution.
0: Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's it's not, a, there's no easy answer to it, but I think it, I think we are all agreed that the, the way that this championship is going to become more competitive is basically by giving these sort of smaller manufacturers or smaller teams more of a footing to go and compete with these guys. Um, but how, how you go and do that is another matter, given that we, we've said on previous shows that Kawasaki and Ducati, are really the only manufacturers that are running full factory teams in as yes. much as they're not, they are actually being run by the factory uh, rather than factory equipment being run by an independent team, which is what we have at uh, Aprilia with the Milwaukee team. Uh, running Present. that bike. We have it at Yamaha with the Crescent team, essentially. I know it's called Patty Yamaha Official World Superbikes, but it is the Crescent team that previously ran Suzuki's that are running that Yamaha team. Uh, MB Augusta is run by the Reparto Corsa team. Um, and we've got yeah we've got the Kate team running Hondas as well and we've got um, BMWs that aren't even factory at all they're just being that's just a customer team essentially in the, the Altea squad so um, the stronger teams with more resources more manpower are going to do better unfortunately and um, you could play around with the grids as much as you like a fast bike's a fast bike uh, at the end of the day as is a fast rider and My other suggestion would be to use the fastest laps for race one, essentially treat race one as a qualifying session for race two, and that's your grid for race two. Um, But but guess who set the fastest lap in race one at Donington Park? It was Jonathan Ray. So Jonathan Ray would have been on pole for race two if that was the system, with uh, Chaz Davies second and Tom Sykes third uh, on the grid for race two. And I think we'd have probably all known how that race would have panned out. Um, had that been the case, you'd have had Haslam, Lowe's, and Laverty on row two. Um, so, yeah, fast bikes are fast bikes. And they'll eventually, the cream will wash to the top, as it did uh, at the weekend. Um, one of the line out of that. We've, we've covered Kawasaki, but we have to mention this, Dre, because we've been singing their praises a moment ago. That was their 100th uh, World Superbike victory, which is wow. now an achievement well worth celebrating. And when you consider um, so many of these have been achieved in the last five years, uh, World Superbikes, they've taken 64
1: of those wins since the start of 2012, which is some going. <laughs> that's unbelievable. My word. So yeah, that's, that's, that's an average of what? Jeez, you're looking at, God, 12 wins? Uh, over 12 wins a season since 2012? That's, yeah, they've won that's... 45% of all World Superbike races since the start of 2012.
0: How? <laughs> and 64% of all races since Jonathan Ray joined the team.
1: <laughs> which was 2015. <laughs> That's 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 bonkers. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it's it's already kind of crazy that Jonathan has taken up an, an enormous chunk of those 100 wins already. And he's only this is only his third. He's two and he's not even two and a half seasons with that team yet. And Sykes has, has been an incredible works and you know an incredible journeyman for that team. Um, as well, and in, in the last four or five years, he's been with them. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's it shows it goes to show you that you know, maybe the best thing to ever happen to Kawasaki was putting out a MotoGP because MotoGP was in a bad place back then. It was it had massive participation problems. The prototypes had just become a thing, and were because there were prototypes, they were ludicrously expensive. Dorna wasn't so keen on helping them out back then. We, we saw Suzuki drop out. We saw Kawasaki drop out for you know for many many years and you know, we, at one point we were getting like 16 bike grids in, in 2010 and whatnot, and so for Kawasaki to drop out, and now they've, they've carved out like the, they've carved out a dynasty with with ray and sykes essentially at, at the moment and they've 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 managed to basically again become the premier manufacturer in superbike racing the the ninja has been an incredible bike for them the last three or four years winning them you know domestic and world championships on on, on every level and it's and they've been they've been the, the flag bearer they've, they've been the standard for everybody else to chase and Somehow the best got even better by bringing in Jonathan Ray, who is, you know, quickly on the way to becoming one of the great superbike riders of all time. So. When, when you bring all that together i mean kawasaki were able to bring in jonathan ray because of the bikes they were able to produce and seeing what tom Sykes could do on it and you know when when you have a great bike you will attract the best riders in the world and jonathan ray is one of the best riders in the world and not only him obviously but again sykes has been an incredible journeyman you know, Laurie spaz played his part as well and many riders in the past as well but again like let's be real here we've got to talk more about recent times and the fact like you said 64 of their wins have come in the last five years i mean they have they have been incredible the last half day again like the fact they've got 100 wins to their, name, their name already is is unbelievable
0: yeah it's unbelievable if you're wondering what the breakdown is of the of the, the 23 races that Kawasaki haven't won uh, since the start of 2012 um i make it 18 of them were Chaz davies wins Um, so 18 out of the 23 were just Davies wins Um, there were two Leon Haslam wins in there for Aprilia Um, there was of course the Jordi Torres win at the end of the season as well back in 2015 and of course, the Nicky Hayden win that we had um, back in uh, Sepang uh, of last year as well. Um, so Chaz Davies is basically the only guy who's been able all the candles to Kawasaki um, since the start of 2015. Uh, and it's quite a list of riders as well that make up those 100 wins for Kawasaki in their World Superbike history uh, because they held up the pit boards in part five to thank all of the riders that have taken victories in World SBK: yes. Aaron Slight, uh, Adrian Marillas, Akira Yanagawa, Anthony Gobert, Chris Walker, Doug Chandler. Um, Zutsu, Ray, Baz, Phyllis, Russell, and Sykes, um, completes the lineup. That is quite a lineup of classic world superbike riders there. Um, Absolutely. Have represented Kawasaki, uh, over the years. Congratulations to them for 100 world superbike victories. And you imagine there'll be many, many more before oh, this yeah. year, um, is out. The other stories then to come from race two, um, Chas Davies has to be one of them, uh, Dre, because we mentioned his crash from the front of race one when he was leading the race and looking good. Um, of course, he was caught up in that Mikado Hanselum crash um, in race two, where they went down at, at Goddard's. Uh, Chaz Davis had to ride all over the grass and dropped out of the top ten. And um, to his credit, given how badly his weekend had gone before then, he kept his head down and was rewarded with the podium out of it.
1: Yeah, I think that the term, the cliche term, here is gritty. That was a gritty comeback from Chaz Davis in in race two. And again, he was having the the real weekend from hell, so to speak, after. That you know, crashing from the lead in race one, you know, and recovering to finish him, you know, eighth, which was the worst chassis performance over the line he's had this season. And you know, when you when you when you when you double up on that again, where he was un- unfortunate to be the victim of of of, of again not you know, some bad luck in race two, and you know, he he was incredible. It was a it was a great fight back to. um yeah, especially against Michael Vandermark at the end, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, to come back to finishing third. That was a very strong. That, that was that was peak Chaz Davis right there, and I mean that in the good sense rather than the bad because. Um, it, it can be a double-edged sword with Chaz sometimes, but that was a, a strong race to, to remind us that, yeah, Chaz is still really good at bikes as well. <laughs> yeah, he
0: leaves everything out there, doesn't he? That's that's one thing you can never level at Chaz that he, he ever lacks effort. He'll always get the maximum out of it, or at least try the maximum to get what he can uh, out of a race. Um, probably the only good news that uh, Aruba Ciccati had to take from their weekend, to be honest. Marco Blandri decided he'd wander off the racetrack. He blamed Augusta Wynn for it. Uh, on the last lap of race one, which handed that podium to Alex Lowe's uh, on the final lap. Um, And um, I'll tell you on on the Stock 1000 class in a moment who won it, but their rider, Michael Rubin-Rinaldi, who led the championship in Stock 1000, crashed uh, out of second place and lost his championship lead for the rubin team as well. So they had the weekend from hell at Donington Park. Um, In terms of Vandermark, though, who um, would have perhaps been stung by that race one podium for Alex Lowe's, he'll have wanted to be the guy, no doubt, to take Yamaha's first podium in world super bikes, he very nearly followed Alex Lowe's up with a podium of his own in race two, but that late Chaz Davis revival caught him with a lap to go.
1: Yeah, it's a, it a real shame. I think mean, Vandermark was was great in race two. He, he did not give that one up at all. He was he was fighting to the bitter end. He, he admitted after the race that uh, he he was already at the limit when Chaz Davis was on him, and he, he 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 said he tried everything, couldn't quite do it, but no matter which way you slice it, great ride for Michael van der Mark. And again, like very quietly fifth and fourth, a solid weekend. It's a shame that, you know, it was somewhat overshadowed by, by Alex's podium in race one. But and again, like, the Yamahas are, 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 are really starting to get their crap together now and they, they're getting stronger by the round and you know, these race twos are, are really starting to uh, you know, come up with some nice rewards for them as, as the season goes on.
0: Mm, yeah, they've been testing this week as well of the uh, Patiala team as well, I think, uh, in Spain. So they're hoping that that may uh, yield a step forward for them um, in the coming round at Mizano, which is a few weeks away. And as we've been talking about a few moments ago with the field at the moment, boy, would World to be better off if that Yamaha can just make a little step forward and close in. On the Honda, uh, on the uh, Kamasaki and the Ducati up front. Um, so, Vandermark ending up finishing fourth in race two did beat Alex Lowe's by six seconds in that second race, which just tells you mm. how good he rode in that second race to beat the home favourite Lowe's by that kind of distance. Um, just behind them came Leon Kamia at uh, two top six finishes for Leon Kamia. Uh, now, of course, home field advantage no doubt helped, but Leon Kamia, again, we, we, we cannot speak enough of how good a job this guy's doing on that poor MV.
1: Yeah, I mean. Sh- you, you wish cameo would have a little bit more just uh, just a little bit more because i'd love i'd love to see what he could really do because again we've we've mentioned you know time and again um you know the 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 lack of budget the envy augusta have and you know the, the again the struggles they've had financially but cameo always punches weapons away and that's his fourth sixth place finish in the last five races and th- th- again cameo continues to be the little rider who could on that envy augusta and He's ahead of some good names in the championship, like Jordi Torres, you know, Eugene Laverty, Stefan Bradl, etc. And yeah, he's doing a very, very good job, and to get to get in the top six for both races, um, his best weekend of the season superb stuff again from cameo we keep saying it but uh superb
0: stuff and when you look at the two race results as well for cameo sick in both races and in both races race one he was 23 seconds off race winner tom sykes and in race two 23 seconds off jonathan ray that thing probably won't go any quicker um than leon cameo made it go because as i say the gap to the kawasaki's in race one and two were near identical um at the checkered flag um one of the riders to mention for, from the two races, um, he was seventh in race one. And as I say, he was caught up in incidents in race two. So I didn't actually see the checker flag. Um, but he did lead a race in World Superbikes for the very first time. Cause he led over the line at the end of lap one. Um, Dre, under the radar is Leandro Mercado, a rider that we're really starting to rate very highly on this show.
1: I think so. Um, again, we've not really talked about him very much recently, but again, like he—he's he, he obviously missed the first two weekends, but ever since he's a regular in the top ten yeah, now. How many
0: times <laughs> do we look at race results or timing screens and actually think,
1: "Hang on, the top Aprilia isn't the Milwaukee bikes; it's actually Mercado." Yeah, like again, like he's only—God, what? Let me look at this real quick. He's missed—he's missed four races, and he's only 15 points behind Laverty on on the Aprilia. And God, he's ahead of Savadori, who's again on what you would consider to be the quote-unquote factory Aprilia team right now. So the fact that McAuliffe right there is basically being pretty flying the ointment right now for the Milwaukee team, he's doing a fantastic job filling in there. And again, like, you said, like, like I said, he's a regular top 10 runner now. Like It's no fluke that he's in there and he's getting these strong starts in race two because he's starting right around the sort of area that would put him on the front row. And yeah, you're like you're absolutely right, Mercado, Very quietly, he's putting together a fantastic season.
0: He is, and of course, he'll have a home round to uh, to go to next season, being yes, an Argentine. Because we're heading to Argentina next year in World Superbikes. Um, so um, yeah, if Mercado can earn himself a, perhaps a stronger ride than he's on at the moment with the Iota team with that Aprilia then um, he may well give his uh, home fans something to celebrate this time uh, next year. Um, We did have some home interest as well in World Superbikes, and not just the usual names who we see um, racing every weekend in World Superbikes, but we had a couple of wild cards. Haslam, we've already touched on, um, who finished second in race one and then crashed in race two. Um, But Jake Dixon as well, one of the young up-and-comers, it has to be said, from BSB Dre, who rode for his um, Royal uh, Regular and Reserves uh, Kawasaki team, uh, in the World Superbike Championship, essentially took his BSB bike for a ride around Donington in the World Championship. Uh, was yeah, it was essentially what he did um, last weekend. And through attrition, it has to be said, but he deserves a lot of credit, Jake Dixon, ninth position in race two. And he beat guys like Rafa De Rosa, who's the Reading Stock 1000 world champion, and Stefan Bradle, a former Moto2 champion, while he did it, ninth position for Jake Dixon. That's a result not to be sniffed at.
1: Superb. Superb result for Dixon there. That might be better than anything he's done in BSB this yeah. season, which is... Which is crazy, given that as you say, he was—he's been touted as one of the young stars of the future of the series, and yeah, he's had a little bit of struggle here and there in the British series this year. But goes to the worlds, goes to a track he's familiar with, finishes in the top ten. I don't think you can ask for much more than that for a, for a wildcard appearance on a BMW bike that again isn't a top contender. And yeah, sure, there was there was seven—it was eight retirements in the race, and you know a lot of them were guys that are normally quite strong, like Torres, Laverty, Melandri savadori but again like i said i said it earlier you can only beat who they put in mm. in front of you and you know there's something to be said for keeping the bike upright it's kind of important yeah uh, yeah so, so
0: that's where the points i headed out at the check of and jay dixon
1: is only 21 <laughs>
0: years old as well yeah, wow. um, so um yeah he's um you know we talk about a young up-and-comer he really is young he's only 21 um, which for superbikes is young because we we talk about guys like ray davis and sykes who are all in their very early 30s uh, Ray and Davies are 30, Sykes is 31 um, Eugene Lambert is 30, Melandry is 34 um, You know, that's, Chevy Forres, he's 31 So, 21, he's, he's got a good 10 years to make up on these guys um, and you, know, you don't make up that experience um, very very quickly so uh, on his first weekend Jake Dixon doing a very very solid job here's how the two races finish then Sykes the winner in race one from Haslam the, probably the biggest margin we've seen in any world superbike race this season thanks to race crash 16 and a half seconds of tarmac behind Sykes to Haslam in second uh, Alex Lowe's in third uh, from the back of the field essentially Marco Melandry fourth that did earn him race two pole, which he made no use of by crashing in race two. Um, Vandermark taking fifth, then Camille Mercado in seventh. Chas Davies recovered to eighth after his crash from the lead. And Jordi Torres, the Spanish Elvis, in ninth, ahead of Xavi Forres. Uh, rest of the points were taken by Roman Ramos, Lorenzo Salvadori, Eugene Laverty, Randy Krumenacker and Rafa De Rosa. Race two went to Ray from Sykes. Davies in third, 12 seconds back. Uh, then came Vandermark and Lowe's on the Amahaus fourth and fifth. Camille sixth again, Forres seventh. Uh, then came Roman Ramos in eighth, Dixon in ninth, and De Rosa tenth. Bradle, those were the only points, unfortunately, for the Honda team. Uh, Bradle, their sole entrant, of course, for obvious reasons. He was 11th in race two, ahead of Ricardo Russo, Andre Jezek, and Ayrton Bandavini, um, who pulled in with about five laps to go, but then realised that if he got back out and tootled it over the line, he'd get some points. So he went back out there five laps down and finished 14th and was awarded with two points championship looks like this then. Jonathan Ray with that crashing race one. Despite winning race two, his championship lead has been cut to 55 points. He went into the weekend 74 ahead of Chas Davies. Sykes is now the man in the second, 55 off the lead. Uh, Chas Davies is third. Uh, he trails Jonathan Ray by 75. Uh, Marco Malandri is fourth a long way back. He's got nearly half the points of Jonathan Ray uh, in this world championship at the halfway stage, which will be reaching... Um, in race one of Mizano. Uh-huh. Um, fifth in the championship, as we mentioned earlier on, is Alex Lowe's, just 16 behind Melandri. He's 19 ahead of Vandermark in sixth. Chevy Forres is seventh, just one off a century now. Uh, Leon Camier is eighth, Jordi Torres ninth, and Eugene Lamonti completes the top ten on 58 points. Although, as we've mentioned, uh, Mercado on the uh, Iota Aprilia is closing in on him. Uh, right now, into World Supersport. Um, and... We didn't get to talk about this class, Dre, after Imola for obvious reasons, given what happened um, in the wake of that round. Um, but for the second round in a row, because we saw it at Imola a couple of times and we saw it at Donington, this World Sport class, which we've touted as batshit crazy in the past, it sure does love a red flag, doesn't it? <laughs> this just
1: keeps happening doesn't it? Like it's like this series keeps finding new and cre- creative ways of delaying itself over red flags and controversy. And yep, guess what? We got another one. Great. Um yeah, again like super Sport just keeps having moments like this where it's just uh, another red flag, another like big oil spill. Like I'm surprised it didn't just push it back after the superbike race like we had in like we had in Imola. But uh, yeah, again, yeah, another red flag. Uh, but for but you know for the worlds of all world super sport, surprisingly all, no, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, Chavi yeah. Cardelus, the Andorran, um, who had a, a blow up um, on his uh, MV Agusta, uh, going into Godard's on I think it was around lap three or four of that race, which caused the red flag, which meant we only had a thirteen lap race. Basically, they incorporate the rule that they use in Moto GP, Motor Two, Motor Three, where they we have a new race over two thirds distance, um, and. Okay it didn't really change an awful lot in terms of the race we were going to get any wage right because keenan foglu was just a class above them at the moment isn't he
1: uh, yeah i think the the i the, the phrase we're looking for here is keenan wins lol yep. uh, <laughs> um yeah, like I, I don't know what you guys are hoping for here, but um, yeah, Keenan Stefoglu is a class above everybody else in this field. No matter, like, no matter which way you slice it, um, the man's just too good, right? And ever since his his wrist fully healed, he's looked unbeatable yeah. since then. Like, he's he's just he's just he's just he's in a different league. And you know, it's almost getting to a point where, like, I'm gonna feel bad if Keenan doesn't win the title this year because, again, through no fault of his own. He he had a donut after three rounds, basically. And that, again, he's so much better than everybody else right now mm. that it's like it's like if Mahias goes on to win the title, which of course of course he'll totally deserve. It's just it's it's gonna feel a little bit hollow because like could you imagine winning a world title where like Keenan Safoglu won like eight out of the last nine rounds? Like it's 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 not a nice look, is it? And no matter which way. Uh, which is a shame because I feel bad for Lucas because, again, he's been he's been, he's had a great season and, you know, he's making the best of a bad situation and, you know, a bad image look for the series right now with Keenan missing the first two rounds and then being taken out when he came back at Aragon. But, you know, Lucas is making the best of what he's been given, but Keenan is just so good right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, since his return from Indrix, he missed the uh, Island, he missed Thailand, he returned um, at Aragon for round three and got taken out by Sulo in that race. Um, when Karakasula crashed in front of him, then down went Savagely. So he wasn't going to win that race anyway. It has to be said. He was but, running in a battle for fourth. Um, but since he's returned from injury, he's gone DNF and then three wins in a row. Um, three largely unchallenged wins as well. It has to be said yeah. um, from the front of the race. Um, and yeah, I'm like you. I almost want Mahias to go and beat him somewhere just to just to, just almost to validate himself. Not that he yeah, really so- needs it because the title's a title. Um, but I almost want Mahias to go and win this, win a race or two somewhere and beat Sofoglu head-to-head just to show that he is on Sofoglu's level. And, well, we have to give Mahias credit. I mean, he, he beat Cluzel in a gloves-off battle on the final lap. It was a brilliant fight between the two Frenchmen. Absolutely. On the final lap, that Mahias ended up winning by overtaking him um, into the Melbourne Loop, a couple of corners from home. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you if we're looking at purely in championship terms here... Majaes is playing a kind of clever game, isn't he? He's almost doing the Nico Rosberg from the end of last season when he had that sort of lead where he knew that seconds would be enough and he just followed Lewis Hamilton around for the last few races. And Majaes yeah. is kind of doing that. Um, whether, he can, whether he's can, whether he got the pace to keep up with Tafoglu or not, Majaes is dealing in seconds, which is, from a championship leader's point of view, is all he can do.
1: Yeah, which is fine and all. There's just, just one big difference between Nico Rosberg's situation and this situation, and that is... The championship is not in Lucas's hands right now. If Keenan wins the last six, he wins the title on countback. Yeah. So he'll have nine wins to Myers' one. It's, yeah, kind of a problem there. So yeah, like I said, like And you know what? He's riding a very fine line right now because he's had two very close fights with Jules Clazel. And if Clazel beats him in one of those fights, it could be for a second or a third, that opens the door to Keenan winning the title outright. And that's that's what Lucas is not going to want to want. And like you said... Lucas needs to beat Keenan. Like, if he can beat him at one round out of, out of the last six, that changes the title dynamic completely. Because again, Keenan would have to, it would be out of Keenan's hands, even if he won the other five. So mathematically speaking, the numbers are not in Lucas's favor right now. And he needs he needs a result here somewhere. Otherwise, he's in big, big trouble. And yeah, like it's not, it's not a comfortable situation for Lucas. Because again, like you say, he's got a 30 point championship lead. But with with Keenan riding how he is, and now Lucas has to be flawless in second. And it's not like the Mercedes deal where they were so much better than everybody else, you could comfortably win a race, win a race in second. Clazelle is punching him in the nose repeatedly here, and Lucas is going to crack at some point.
0: Mm, yeah, and he, and to be fair to Myers, he's he's had his fair share of. I was going to say bad luck. He had the blow-up in Thailand where who knows where he'd have finished there when his, his Yamaha went pop. One of the many bikes that went pop in putter around that day uh, yeah. in one of the crazy races at the start of the season. Of course, he was beaten by Robbie Rolfo by a hair's width uh, in the first race of the season where, you know, another you know couple thousands of a second, Mahias would have won there. Um, and then he's basically been playing second fiddle to Safoglu ever since his comeback. Um, yeah. So, He's he's kind of doing the maximum he can do. I mean, he's in the in the six races we've had so far this season. He had the blow up in Thailand, and then in the other five races, he's had a win and four seconds. Um, so that's that's hardly a bad record, is it? Uh, yeah, Carlos some... Muñoz. He's he's doing a cracking job. But yeah, Sefwaglu is just making him look slightly second best at the moment. Um, in terms of the other stories from this race, the top three was and Mahayas and Cluzel. Um, the three who are really looking a class apart at the moment. But fourth and fifth, Dre, going to the two profile triumphs. So um, I think we've all been begging to do well for a while now. And Luke Stapleford, who, of course, absolutely swept the board in the British Championship um, a couple of years ago. He's been waiting a while for this kind of result on the world stage and um, slightly missing out on his first podium. But Stapleford and Kennedy, fourth and fifth for the triumph boys. Not a Not a bad result at all for them.
1: An excellent result, and Stapleford's been meaning to get a result like this on the board since coming over into world into the world super sport level, coming over from the from the domestic series. And yeah, like you say, triumph is again not not the strongest um, you know, racing racing mark out there right now, but you know they have a strong 600cc bike, and I'm glad that um, you know him and Jack Kennedy finishing fourth and fifth, you know able to run top five in a series that is that is riddled with Yamahas and Hondas and your dominant Kawasaki or, or two. But um, with all of that factored in, I'm glad that Triumph had a very good result to say for themselves on this one.
0: Yeah, they did. And one, one of the names to pick out from the top 10 in the end, and it was the man that finished in 10th place for the Halsall Racing Team, uh, Joe Francis, um, who finished in 10th position. And um, yeah, it doesn't really need any, any validation because we all know how strong it is. But we've said for a while how strong, not just British Superbike is, um, but British Supersport is, Dre. Um, and Joe Francis, one of the young stars from British Supersport, taking a 10th position straight away and making it straight through to Super Bowl II as well on the Saturday, um, which is no mean feat as well. He qualified um, up in 7th place for a young British
1: Supersport contender. Just Again, just goes to show how strong the British programme is. Absolutely. I mean, like I said in some cases the british series is on the level of worlds again i'd love to see someone like shaky go over to worlds for a wild card and give it around and see where it's very fitting because the times aren't far apart and you know these brits that love these british circuits um it's proven that there is no better breeding ground for british talent are you reading dawna than Mm -hmm. the ladder that's in front of them right now i mean that that's that just seems to be what it is right now and you know, for guys like Francis, Kennedy, Stapleford, you know, to show like Dixon as well in the, in the top series to have wild cards like this. Carl Ride had a similar case last year. Like, these, these rides are no fluke. The British series is producing top talents. Mm,
0: yeah, that gave him, that gave Carl Ride his springboard, didn't it, to go onto the world stage. So, um, that wild card, famously, uh, a couple of years ago when he finished second um, in the World Super Sport Championship. Uh, at Donington Park and um, Francis who's, who's only 19 by the way he's even younger than Dixon is um, 19 years of wow. age for him to finish top 10 on his World Super Sport debut is, is some going um, but he wasn't the only one we had David Allingham who was out there um, and he's one of the front runners I think he's second at the moment in, in British Supersport so he's effectively the de facto championship leader because we're not going to see Tara McKenzie again um, in that championship for the rest of the season the, the perfect championship leader of course has won every round so far um, so uh, Allingham was probably the effective championship leader as a result of that. Um, he took part as well and qualified mid-pack. Didn't exactly have the the, the great kind of performances that, Dick, that that Francis had, but not a bad going at all for Fran- for Allingham in that race and finished just outside the points too, um, in the end. Um, so British Super Sport again. Doing itself proud on the world stage. Here's the ultimate result. Then after 13 laps, Sofuoglu the winner by two and a half seconds from Mahias Cluzel in third. Those two were split by just two tenths over the line. Stapleford taking fourth for the Profile team, beating his teammate Kennedy in the end to fifth. Sheridan Marias um, for the Callio team in sixth, and West up in seventh uh, ahead of Kyle Smith, Kari Okubo, and Joe Francis completed the top ten. The rest of the points were handed out to Kyle Ride who was 11th, Gino Ria in 12th. Hannah Soma, who won the European Supersport um, class in 13th. Robbie Rolfo, I think it's fair to say the dream has died now for Rolfo. He was only 14th. No! Uh, poor Robbie Rolfo. And Kazuki Wakatanabe, the Japanese for the Go 11 team, taking the final point in 15th. Championship looks like this then. Mahias leads it by 30 from Safuoglu, um, with six races to go. Mizano allows it to rank. Magni Magnicourt, Jerez, and Losail still to go. Uh, Mahias does need to beat Sofoglu somewhere to be guaranteed of the title. Um, Sheridan Marias has dropped to third now after finishing sixth at the weekend. Um, he's now seven points behind Sofoglu in third. Cluzel is fourth. He jumped ahead of PJ Jacobson, who non-scored at Donington. Um, they're both tied on 55. That's 50 off the lead. Carl uh, Ryder's dropped to seventh. Karakasulo, who, of course, famously won in Thailand. Um, he's had four crashes out of six races. Um, apart from his win and a sick that ass, and he's crashed in every other race as Caracasulo and as a result has dropped to eighth in the championship. Anthony West is up to ninth and Luke Stablewood is into the top ten in tenth after his career best in World Supersport in fourth. Um, World Supersport 300, um, a lot of fun this race. It was a three-bike fight at the front between Alfonso Coppola, Mika Perez and Mark Garcia. Coppola, the pole man, won it with a move on Perez at the final corner into Goddards on the last lap. Um, he won by a tenth of a second from the Spaniard Perez um, and the second Spaniard of Garcia in third, who uh, pulled off the overtake of the race when Coppola and Perez battled each other into the Melbourne Loop. And uh, Garcia essentially did what you did to Rossi and Marcus at Phillip Island a couple of years ago and overtook a pair of them on the way out. Um, great move by Garcia, but it wasn't enough to win him the race. He didn't quite have the pace in the end of Coppola and Perez. He finished in third. Scott DeRue, the championship leader and, of course, former British Moto Star champion, so he knows his way around Donington. He finished fourth which was just enough to preserve his championship leaders, I'll tell you in a moment. Uh, Armando Pontoni for the IOTA team in 5th. Robert Schottman, the Dutchman, in 6th. Uh, Giacomini, the Italian 7th. Rusmi Putro, the Indonesian, in 8th. Danny Valle, in ninth, And Anna Carrasco in 10th. Seven of the top 10 were Yamaha R3s. Um, although um, the... Uh, Kawasaki of Daru still leads the championship final points were handed out to Alex Murley Paolo Gracia Dorin Lorero, who's a South African for the DS junior team uh, Ravelli from Italy and Giuseppe de Gruttola, um, who who's one of the riders who fought for the win at Assen in that brilliant race we saw there a few weeks ago he took the final point in 15th uh, Daru leads the championship but as I mentioned he only just leads it his lead is down to two points now over Coppola five races to go in World Supersport 300 because they don't go to Qatar um, so five races for this to be battled out. Uh, De leads Coppola by two. Garcia is into third now. He trails by 17. Perez is a further nine points back in fourth. Uh, Borja Sanchez, who failed to score, having crashed out. He's down to fifth now. He trails the leader by 29. Larrero is a further seven points back in sixth. Then come Valle, Carrasco, De Grutola, and Garcia, who complete the top ten, who are covered by 46 points. As I mentioned Five races to go in Super Sport 300 as there are in Superstock 1000. I mentioned earlier on the disaster that it was for the Aruba Ducati team with their championship leader Michael Rubin Rinaldi crashing out of second place. Probably wouldn't have won the race anyway because Toprak Razgatioglu was away and gone at the front. The Karasaki Pachetti rider, so they had a nice Turkish double uh, with Razgatioglu and Safoglu both winning on the Sunday uh, Marino Florian Marino the Frenchman taking second for the Patti Yamaha team ahead of Maximilian Sheep, the Chilean in third A Tamburini for the second of the Patti Yamahas in fourth ahead of Federico Sandi and Ilyat Mikalchik the Ukrainian in sixth uh, rest of the top ten was completed by Sebastian Suchet of Switzerland, Jeremy Guarnoni, former World Superbike bike rider for the Pedaccini-Karsaki team, Luca Vitali in ninth, and completing the top ten, Dre, a rider that we'll both remember for the end of last season. Remember Mad Mike Jones of Australia, who wildcarded and scored points um, hey! for, for MotoGP at the end of last season. He ended a ride with the Aruba Ducati Factory Stock Thousand team um, nice! as a result of that. Uh, and he completed the top ten um, in 10th um, position at Donington Park at the weekend. Championship standings then. Razgatioglu has taken the lead of it. He's now nine points ahead of Ronaldo, having won with Ronaldo failing to score. Uh, Marino is up to third, although he's 14 points off the lead. Roberto Tamarini is now fourth. Federico Sandi fifth. Guarnoni sixth. Suchet in seventh. Michalczyk in eighth. Um, Marco Fakani, who finished 11th at the weekend, he's down to ninth. And Max Schieb completes the top ten. Mike Jones is 12th in the points, um, having taken an eighth position at Imola and a seventh um, in the opening round of the season. At Aragon. Next round for all of those classes comes in a few weeks' time when they head to the Mizano World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli. That is of course over the weekend of June the 16th, 17th, and 18th. the news So let's talk Speedway first of all because they had the third round of their championship in Latvia at the weekend um, Bex was uh, praying for a Matza Janowski win, he didn't quite get it although he did make the final, um, he was the third uh, component of a Polish 1-2-3 um, led by Peter Pavlitsky and Patrick Dudek, they were first and second, Janowski third Jason Doyle in fourth uh, Ty Woffenden of Great Britain seventh, he got knocked out in the semi-finals, he won his first heat of the night and then didn't win again uh, reigning champion Greg Hancock didn't win at all all night and failed to make the semis he was 12th overall with just 5 points A uh, Dudek who was 2nd on the night leads the championship though by a point from Doyle and Freddie Lindgren uh, Lindgren didn't make the top 8 either at Latvia uh, Janowski is 4th in the points though just 3 off the lead so Bex's dreams of uh, cheering her boy to a championship win in Australia in October are still alive um, he's 4th overall 3 points off the lead Martin Vachelik is 5th just four points off the lead. So four points covers the top six in the Speedway GP series. Uh, then comes Emil Saifudinov in seventh. And Taiwafudinov is only eighth. He trails the championship leader by eight points. Greg Hancock has had a nightmarish start to his title defence. He's not even in the top ten at the moment. And now into World Supersport news. Because we've already had news as opposed to next year in World Supersport. And it surrounds the uh, current reigning champion, Kylen Sofoglu, who... Having missed the first couple of rounds of this season, his uh, his late charge may come a little too late for this season in terms of retaining his title, um, but we already know that he's going to be trying to earn it back next year, because he's already signed up for 2018, much to the delight of his rivals in World Supersport.
1: Like, the quote I used to describe the news on Wednesday was, ah, shit, it <laughs> says the entire World Supersport paddock. Um, it's like, Keenan, like... You have been a world superbike bike rider before. Like you can move on whenever you feel like it, you know. But uh, no, like Keenan. Keenan's made his, his his career. He's cut his teeth here. I'm not surprised at all that he's decided to carry on for another year. I mean, I, I'm surprised to an extent because I thought, hey, if he gets to five, I thought, hey, you know, we might, you know, might just you might just call it a day. But no, he's just been this good and he's going to continue just to carve an name out for himself in world super sport because it, it it's it's his it's his class it has been his class he's the greatest rider ever on a 600cc bike like that and Long may it continue, because he's just that good right yeah, now. Yeah,
0: he, he reminds me a bit of... Remember Michael Schumacher towards the end of his Formula 1 career when he'd, he'd broken all the records at the World to Break and he said, I'm just doing this for the love of it. I'm just doing it for pleasure. I'm doing it for the enjoyment of the racing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it seems like that's where Safoglu's at now. He's, he's got nothing more to prove to anybody in World Cup Sport, but he just loves doing it. Um, he, he tried his hand at Moto2 a few years ago and it didn't quite work out for him. He had his moments. He had some podiums along the way, but he was never quite uh, the championship-leading force that he is in World Supersport, so... You know, why not be somewhere where you can win? I mean, Jonathan Ray's pretty much made that call, hasn't he, in World Superbikes that he, you know, he could go to MotoGP and ride around for a sub-standard team round the back of World of MotoGP. But why do that when you can ride around in, Moto, in World Superbikes and win things?
1: Exactly. I mean, we've 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 seen it. We've seen it with our own eyes, and. I remember, like, when I was getting back into worlds around 2013, and I remember Tom Sykes saying he would not leave Kawasaki unless he got a top tier MotoGP seat. We saw that Jonathan Ray was almost too loyal to the Honda brand yeah. as time had gone on, because I mean, Livio Supo had always promised Jonathan Ray a MotoGP seat one day. He was he loved Jonathan as a rider, but unfortunately, Casey Stoner, Danny Pedrosa, and Mark Marquez had other ideas. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Try sac- yeah. One of those three. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like 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 three for like one Hall of Famer and two future Hall of Famers, no doubt, um, regarding that. So yeah, like Jonathan, it's a shame because when he did fill in for them, he did a he did a darn solid job for, for reps on the when he did fill in. He wasn't he was in the top eight on both occasions. And, no attention. With no testing whatsoever it was just raw talent that gotten in there and yeah like they are capable of like Jonathan for example he, he'd be a top 6 runner in MotoGP right now on the right of bike, and you know,
0: I would and he'd be doing what the likes of Cal Crutchlow are doing
1: absolutely and there's no shame in that whatsoever given that uh, the quality of the three main Honda riders right now Crutchlow all three of them race winners Oh, I'm the multiple race winners now. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's like even if it's not the class you ideally want to be in, there is something to be said about about winning consistently in the class that you are in. I mean, you, like it didn't work for a bat, but it worked out beautifully for Johan Zarco in the end by sticking around in Moto Two for an extra year and retaining said title. Um, and we're seeing it now with Keenan, where yeah, like why would you want to be a midfield World Superbike rider when you can dominate Super Sport like he has over the years and yeah, like you said, sometimes it is better to stick around in the class you're in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what Sifok is going to do for next season. I'm actually Crutchlow the moment. There was a bit of news that I saw earlier on Twitter that's, that Cal Crutchlow rejected a chance of a factory Honda ride at the Suzuka 8-hour this year, which is interesting. Um, no. We don't quite know what Honda are going to do for that this season because, uh, unfortunately, last year they ran Nicky Hayden, didn't they, um, in their Uh-oh. factory uh, Suzuka 8-hour team. Suzuka 8-hour is coming up next month, um, one of the highlights of the motorcycle racing calendar um, so it's interesting going to see what Honda do there whether they draft in Bradle for that um, or perhaps try and because um, I, I can't see Matt Marquez or Danny Pedrosa taking that one on can you um, when, no. when, when they when they're potentially both going for the MotoGP GP title this year too much uh, to lose uh, too though. much to lose so I can't see that happening. Um, so um, it will be interesting to see where Honda go with that, and indeed where Yamaha go, because will they, will they draft in the likes of Zarko and Volga um, to go and race for them? Why right, the hell not, uh, right? Why right, the hell not, right? Yeah, because um, Zarko um, didn't he ride at the 8-hour last year? Um, I seem to remember him um, getting involved with Suzuki um, at the 8-hour. Um, I may be imagining that. I know he did test for them. on you know, I, with, think,
1: yeah. I think it, there was the promise of an 8-hour seat. It was basically like they told Zarko to hold this contract for us while yes. we figure out what, what we're doing in case we get... The 25th bike on the grid, which never materialized in the end. So, yeah, I don't think Zarko actually rode in that eight hours of Zuka. I think the promise of riding for him was was something that was on the table for him. Mm,
0: yeah, but it'd be interesting to see what Yamaha do as well, given that uh, they, yeah, they they pretty much thrown the kitchen sink at it, haven't they? In the last couple of years with. I mean, Alex Lowe's rode for them last year, so they could always bring him back in again, along with Vandermark. So that's an option for them as well. Um, Whether so, like, the Yamaha offer that kind of support in there in the Suzuka Eight Hour again? Given that they've won it two years running now, so what, exactly. what, what have they got to prove in that one anymore? They've taken Honda's crown jewel away from them and um, done it two years running and retained it. So, so that's an interesting um, story as well. Suzuka Eight Hour, as I mentioned, is next month. Um, it takes place always towards the end of July it culminates the uh, Euro Endurance World Championship which now runs from the autumn of one year to the summer of the next Um, MotoGP news uh, Jonas Folger is also staying put for next season Joan Zarco his teammate at Tech 3 announced his uh, contract extension with the team on the eve of the French Grand Prix and two weeks later Jonas Folger earns his as well and uh, Dre although he's not quite hit the heights of Zarco which is a pretty hard thing to do um, as a rookie Volga has also earned his extension for
1: next year and I think in my opinion it's absolutely deserved as well I mean listen, if you if I've said it on I said it on Twitter this morning if you put Jonas Volga's rookie season in a vacuum it's a very good rookie season so far yeah. you know he's been in the top 10 on multiple occasions he's the only man in MotoGP to have scored points in every single round so far and that's one of the, the the main point of that is he's, he's removed one of the biggest kinks in his game, and that was his inconsistency. Like in Motom two, he was a guy that on any given day could win a race if he was fast enough, but it would also be the guy that would crash yeah, into city position. Exactly. So, like, you don't want that home run guy in your team in the long run. No, see Crutchlow, Cal, for more information. Yeah. But um, it's, it's like he's he's made it work very very well this season. And again, like, it's a shame that he has not reached the dizzying heights of Johan Zarco's rookie season so far, which. what it's worth is phenomenal and a level that we've not seen since mark marquez and even then he was on a factory bike and you know zarko was on a is on a satellite bike as a very good one but still a satellite bike nonetheless um so in any case, Volks done a very good job this season. He's 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 played his role very well for Tech Three. He's doing a very solid job, and yeah, absolutely give him another year, especially in today's era of MotoGP where they're giving out these seats very early now, and they want to get their, they want to get riders tied down as soon as they can afford to. So. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the Tech free team has, has done a fantastic job so far, and why not stick with that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's not a bad team to be in when we think Valentino Rossi might only have a couple of years to go. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, who's to say, if Valentino is still as competitive as he is now at the end of last year, that he doesn't stick around again and ride into his 40s in Mods of GP, um, which would be pretty much unprecedented for anyone oh, to yeah. do that. But you wouldn't put it past him right about now at the moment, given that he's still... You know, he still very nearly won his last Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, um, oh, but either way, Tech 3 is a good team to be in, given that he, he will be riding for, effectively, the Junior Yamaha team. Um, and with guys like Viehe in the Mozo 2 team impressing, um, you'd want to get your, your name inked on that contract pretty quick before they, they think about drafting him up as well. Um, so, um, so a well-earned contract extension, for Folger um, in MotoGP. Uh, we mentioned Rossi, um, and he's been making the news um, ever since this time last week. Literally, as we recorded this show last week, we broke the news that Valentino Rossi had injured himself in a motocross accident in Italy um, and had been taken to hospital. He stayed in the hospital overnight before being discharged the next day. Um, but even on the eve of his home Grand Prix at Mugello, um, as um, 100,000 plus of his fans will make the pilgrimage to Mugello for this weekend to turn it into a sea of yellow. Um, we're still not quite sure at the time of recording whether he's actually going to race this weekend. Um, he has been declared fit. Um, he, he said that he was... I mean, he looked in pretty good form, it has to be said, when he was uh, giving giving interviews today at Mugello. We were recording this on Thursday June the 1st. Um, but he did still say that the pain in his abdomen and in his ribs is severe. Um, and he, he probably won't know. You'll probably know by the time this goes out whether he actually is fit to ride, having ridden the bike at Mugello. But... When the details of this crash came out, Dre, and the actual way Valentino Rossi injured himself, it sounds a nasty fall he took.
1: Yeah, it sounds brutal. Um there's there's another no way of describing it. it. It was a nasty one by by all accounts and what I've read and y you, you know, like it's easy to say that Rossi looked good and he looked fit. He's not ridden a motorcycle since that accident. And you know, who like who's to say like how his condition is going to be going into a, a twenty-plus lap race on Sunday? I mean, I, I think the home fans will be ahead of a shot of adrenaline for him yeah. um, mm. g- being out there, and you know we know how important a race this is for the championship. Um, and again, like this is this is the one that Rossi's been wanting to win for years since since his his run of seven straight. I think it ended in two thousand and nine. I want to say mm. um, where Rossi given wants- how he
0: didn't win it last year he probably had it won and his engine blew up
1: exactly so this is going to be a one one where valentino truly desperately is going to want to win not just for the sake of that but for his again like you said for the hometown fans and this is this is the blue ribbon event for me in the moto gp calendar and partly because of the valentino rossi effect and his enormous fan base you like magello brings out the crazies um, yes chainsaws custom guitars hammers and a sea of yellow you name it it's there um for for magello and this will be no different for valentino this time this is a special round on the calendar this is the one where i think a lot of them want to win um yeah just oh man uh this is a big one but like we'll only know for sure like on after friday when rossi actually gets on the bike and how honest he wants to be with us and 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 that's what worries me. I hope they don't have to put him on a whole heap of painkillers and just get him out there and see what happens because whew, um, this is a big one. And I don't I don't think there's any way in hell Valentino skips this one. But I know he'll it, he'll ride until his his arm falls off. will he? He,
0: exactly. you know, he, He's not gonna he's not gonna default this one. There's no way about it. He'll he'll throw he'll do absolutely everything to make sure he's on that grid on Sunday. And you know as you mentioned, this is a blue ribboned ribbon event, and and Rossi's involvement has a large part to do with that. But What a great time we're in at the moment in MotoGP, Dre. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago, or we talked last week on this show, about the the French Grand Prix and the sporting occasion that was and the atmosphere we had with Zarco going so well and the battle at the front. Can you imagine, as good as that was, can you imagine the atmosphere at Mugello if we get that kind of race again, a lap to go, and Rossi's in the fight for the win?
1: Like you'll be able to hear the, You know what? It reminds me of the famous NFL case when Marshawn Lynch breaks off of that run for the Seahawks, and it was so loud it triggered as an earthquake. Um, it, at, at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. Um, Google it if you don't believe me. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, like it could be like that again, where like the the, the, the roar of the Rossi fans in the atmosphere. It's going to be apocalyptic mm. if Rossi is in a lead battle on the final lap with Maverick Vinales or maybe even Mark Marquez. Who was stronger than we all thought he was going to be last year. So I have to keep an eye on that one as well. I would not rule out Marquez here. Um, given that he, given he, this is one of his better rounds, even if the bike isn't quite there. But hey, Márquez is talking about a confidence boost on the new Michelin front tire they've brought in. Yes. So Which Scott so, Redding is not happy at all
0: with, by the way. Um, when is Scott Redding ever happy? Yeah, he spoke, he spoke <laughs> about that today and said that he's particularly annoyed that this has been introduced mid-season. Um, but yeah, perhaps he's probably one of the riders who had more to lose through this, given that he's made a decent start to the year. Um, but yeah, we're mentioning the, potentially the kind of guys who could battle for the victory on Sunday Rossi, Vignale is expected to be among them Marquez too um, Jorge Lorenzo possibly one, Dre? I mean he historically goes very well at Mugello um, as, do, as do Ducati and uh, if Lorenzo's anywhere near the front of the race on Sunday that Ducati's going to take some overtaking down that front straight.
1: Oh yeah man, good lord, they'll, they'll be hitting close to 215 miles an hour down that front straight on those Ducatis they are so fast and That'll definitely be one to keep an eye on because, yeah, again, you say Lorenzo is very strong right here. Dovi has been strong around here. Outside of Austria,
0: one. would this be their best chance, you think?
1: Possibly. Yeah, unless it rains somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real chance that this could be the round for Ducati where they're up there with the leading back. Because like you said, Lorenzo's gone strong here before. Dovi's gone strong here before. Ian one has gone strong around here before. Yeah, yeah, former pole man and former I didn't jump the start guy. <laughs> um, but even though he's on a blue bike rather than a red one right now, but yeah, again, like those guys have gone strong on Ducatis in the past around here. So I wouldn't—I mean, if you're a betting guy, an each-way shout for top three wouldn't be a bad way to go for someone like Lorenzo or <laughs> Absolutely,
0: it could happen. Um, in terms of the other classes in in GP, Moto Two. Um, Strong chance, very strong chance for home winner. Frankie say, wins, oh. yeah. Very strong chance of a home win um, for Franco Morbidelli. Who, um, given that Valentino Rossi pulled out of the pre-race press conference given his physical state, Morbidelli replaced him um, in the press conference, which kind of tells you where he's at now in in the um, in terms of the paddock hierarchy. He's already been considered good enough to be put in there with the MotoGP guys in the pre-race press conference. Six to
1: five, um, Morbidelli to win in Moto2 this weekend.
0: Yeah, um, that's uh, that that's heavy favorite. Doubling your money, it's almost like printing money, that isn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah. For, for Sunday, he's looking very, very good. Um, but let's just look at the MotoGP odds while I'm at it. So, what can you get on Jorge Lorenzo? You can, get, you can get sixteen to one for a Lorenzo win on Sunday, Ooh. Uh, which I think is, and uh, yeah, a fifth of the odds for first, second, third. And this is with um, the official bookmaker of Motorsport One Hundred and One, William Hill. Um, <laughs> also, uh, yeah, you get Vinales at two to one, Marquez at five to two, as is Rossi. Uh, Pedro is at seven to one. Zarco is as short as nine to one. Um, he's 8 on sky bets yeah, and um, and Lorenzo 16 to 1 with William Hill to win on Sunday mm. on the Ducati um, that might be worth might be worth a shot at that um, Modo 2 as you mentioned um, Morbidelli you can get evens for him on uh, William Hill um, then Bagnaglia at 3 to 1 Marquez 11 to 2 Baldessari uh, we was second here last year at 10 to 1 as is Thomas Luti. And then Moto3 is almost not worth betting on. Um,
1: But one thing we do know from history, Dre, Moto3 Amar yellow is a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, God, yes. Um, You're guaranteed at least eight bikes for the win uh, Mm -hmm. at any given point in time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, some world card you've probably never heard of will be in the top three. Um, Shout out to Marcos Ramirez, who is only sick favorite now to win this race, given his rise out of seemingly nowhere. All of a sudden um given the way the season is playing out i mean like, remote, like I know Joanne Mir is leading the championship fairly comfortably right now. But... Nine to four favorite
0: for the win on Sunday.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here on Sky Bet nine to four. But again, there is a bunch of guys in there that could easily pull a surprise. Take, Romano for the value
0: bet on Di Antonio at nine to one is what I suggest. Yeah, it's
1: good value. That's a good price. I'd say Jorge Martin the tens is a pretty good value shot as well. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Um, Fees twenty to one. McPhee is... T- Bastianini's twenty fives as well. Like McPhee's... with McFie, McPhee, you guys like you Binder, like like you you back him and then they will crash in the race and you'll be inevitably be pissed about yeah, it. McPhee's on a Honda
0: though, and Honda have swept the podium every round so far. Um, so, but it's
1: John McPhee, sort yeah. of be that's the problem. Yeah, but I think
0: if you're looking for value out there, McPhee and Bastianini might well be it in the in twenty twenty-five oh, yeah. to yeah, one yeah. to um to win the race outright on Sunday, but uh. Yeah, it's impossible to predict in Moto3. But yeah, either way, we're going to have a lot of fun finding out um, who will win because that front straight with those bikes, you are guaranteed double figures worth of motorcycles in the leading group uh, on Sunday. So it's going to be well worth a watch. It is the one of the favorite race weekends on the motorcycle racing calendar, MotoGP at Mugello. It will be a remiss of us as well not to mention this before we go, given that it starts race week starts this weekend at the Isle of Man TT. Um, oh, it is, the um, yeah, as I say, another of the blue-ribboned events on the motorsport calendar, let alone motorcycle racing. It is one of those true motorsport and sporting spectacles that truly takes your breath away um, as you watch it, The as the the bravery of these guys and girls who go out there and race at the TT, if they race, because the weather forecast is friggin' awful um, oh, for the next two weeks. It is, it is currently forecast to pretty much rain and rain for the next week or so. Um, so what kind of racing we see at the weekend um is anyone's guess it's it's always it's going to be a slight um it's going to be a slight shadow as well over this TT as well because for the first time since I can remember there's going to be no John McGuinness at the TT this year given yeah, the horrendous the horrendous injuries he sustained at the Northwest 200 um a few weeks ago um for the Honda team um so there'll be no um there'll be no uh, John McGuinness the uh the history maker of the man TT the most successful rider um that the TT has ever seen in recent times um, But, Dre, I mean, we're not going to sit around here and start predicting race wins because it's impossible to do that at the TT, but I guess we all hope that these guys stay safe because this is one of the most extraordinary spectacles (laughs) anywhere in motorsport.
1: Yeah, um, again, I can only echo what Lewis has said there. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's impossible to pick winners. Please, Guy Martin, win one. Yeah, Um, we we desperately want this, don't we? We Please, all hail Lord Sideburns. I I would love Guy Martin to get a win somewhere along the line because, man, he deserves a, a TT win, but yeah. These guys are ridiculous on every conceivable level, um, and yeah, I just, I just, I hope and pray that they all come back safely. More than anything else, because we, you don't need me to tell you how dangerous the Isle of mantis is. If you're listening to this show, you know that. Uh, you're sadly, you're almost guaranteed a fatality a season, unfortunately, <laughs> um, at, at this event because of how dangerous it is, and. Again, you're riding on very bumpy, ridiculous public roads at over 200 miles an hour. These guys are unbelievable for doing what they do here. And uh, it's also to double down as well. Again, darn shame we're going to be missing. Um, we're going to be missing um, John McGuinness um, there as well because again he absolutely shattered his leg in that accident. It was an awful injury, um, but no matter which, again, he's lucky to be alive, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, again, I, I can only hope and pray they all come back safe.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, go guy Martin. Uh, we we, we, yes. we did you see his interview as well at the Northwest um, when he was out there? Yeah. Uh, it was brilliant because because he, he went viral a year ago for his interview there where he um, he was famous to say he had no interest. Uh, in the Northwest 200 because he hated the bloody chicanes, um, as he, as he called it, um, at Coleraine in Northern Ireland at the, at the Northwest 200. And, uh, he went back there this year to, uh, go and race. And, um, he was, uh, yeah, he still he still wasn't too enamoured with the place. He basically said it was a means to an end. He says he was asked why he was there, and he said, "I need to get them some signatures if I want to ride at TT. I need some signatures." So, <laughs> so, so that's why he was there. He was just there to basically to, to earn the uh, earn the right to go ride at the uh, at the TT. He needed some signatures to um, basically validate him to go and ride at the TT. So he rode at the Northwest as well for Honda, uh, of course. He was teammate to McGinnis at that event, um, and he was kind of saying how he was basically he was just sort of pottering around. He wasn't really on the pace because. Uh, he still didn't like the chicanes around Coleraine. Um, he is truly a one-off um, in, in motorsport. Is Guy Martin. And, yeah, if he, if he could get a win this week at the TT, it would be one of the most popular wins anywhere in, in motorsport all year. Um, exactly. So go, Guy Martin, uh, at the TT. Um, this week. Um, anyone in the UK who has free to air TV, who probably enjoyed the World Superbikes last week, um, nightly highlights on ITV4. would do a brilliant job at the TT um, with their nightly coverage. So um, lock in for all of that throughout the week. Um, of course, MotoGP at Magello Mi- as well. And we will be back next week to review all of that. We look forward to your company then. Um, last uh, reminder before we go the places you can find us are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 at motorsport101. underscore on twitter um we are on soundcloud and on itunes just search motorsport 101 on itunes on soundcloud it's soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport101 our website motorsport101.net um and uh, if you want to back us financially and as we mentioned at the start of the show early access available for just three dollars a month on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 um where next week we bring you episode 89 dre and um indycar detroit i'm guessing it will dominate this week's edition
1: Yep, no kidding, it's the IndyCar Duel in Detroit, two races in Detroit over the weekend, May also big deal, Scott Dixon may or may not drive in that one, because it turns out after his horror crash yes. at the 500, may I, may I add that in Aeroplane, inverted numbers, Um basically Scott Dixon taking flights for several seconds during taking the 500, over
0: Helio Castro
1: Yes, over Helio, J. Howard spins into him and Dixon gets flung basically 20 feet in the air, about 100 feet down the track, rides into the catch fence, somehow gets out under his own power. Do not ask me how this happened. It's 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 voodoo witchcraft, mm-hmm. quite frankly. But uh, turns out he's actually fractured his foot, so he may not drive this weekend given... Um, how bumpy Detroit has a tendency of being, so keep an eye out for that. But yet yeah, we will give you all the news and reviews. Stephen Gutierrez, Will which is, which is a story. Yeah.
0: Just a, we all know he's going to finish eleventh, but but yeah, Gutierrez <laughs> will be out there. Um, yep, uh, Detroit on the
1: Gutierrez weekend. Gutierrez filling in for Sebastian Borde Get well soon, Seb, as well. And Tony Kanaan filling in for him at Le Mans, so keep an eye on that as well in, in the month of June as well. But, yeah, Esteban Gutierrez, he's basically becoming the new driver for hire right now. Um, more than anything else, is uh, taking part as well. He'll be replacing the um, Sebastian Borde in the 18 car this weekend. So all the news and from Detroit will most likely dominate the next um the next uh, motorsport 101 episode episode 89 and we'll probably bring back the mail back too so send your questions in to us on twitter but uh yeah that'll most likely be your motorsport 101 episode 89 next week yeah
0: and episode 16 uh, of bike live as well um we're closing in on that century dre uh, for motorsport 101 um yeah by, by my calculations one a week we're gonna hit that point somewhere sort of end of august early september hey, august. yeah like, uh, i've
1: got the date down for it so uh
0: yeah the, the century is closing in Um, here on Motorsport 101. Um, And as I say, episode 16 of Bike Live next week, both shows towards the end of next week. And uh, we look forward to you tuning in for those next week. From myself, Lewis Suderby and Andre Harrison, it's goodbye, and we will see you next week. Sayonara. (laughs)